The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. This is Speedball Mike Bailey. You're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yush. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chill and let them have it cause this is just an intro keeping the strong style six stars from the get go boy yeah from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome this is keeping it strong style with your host Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Joshua Smith and thank you for listening welcome to keeping it strong style the ace of podcasts on the social suplex podcast network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we'll review Burning Spirit in Kobe and cover all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and a shared playlist, Synchronized viewing parties and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. Young boy, we got a hurricane on its path. You know, stand back. A hurricane's coming through. How how are you holding up in in preparation for Hurricane Ian? I don't know if you saw, but like I literally was like I was getting ready to say that exact line, <laughs> but you stepped on my line. <laughs> Listen, man, um, I, I it's time for us to uh, do it up, and uh, I'm gonna pour one out for me, and then pour one out for the homies because <laughs> this might be our last stand. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the, the the last ever uh, keeping a strong style. It, bro. It who knows? You know, anything's possible, but um. Yeah, we got a hurricane coming, and uh, it's kind of scary. Don't know what to expect. And, you know, some of you listening are probably wondering, like, oh, you guys are from Florida. You know, hurricane season. You probably get a ton of these. Well, the the, the reality is where we live in Tampa Bay hasn't had a direct hit from any hurricane in over 100 years. We always seem to get projected that we're going to get a hurricane. And then last minute, last, you know, it, t- it veers to the left, veers to the right, you know, you know, it does something, but, uh, swerve. It, yeah, swerves, <laughs> there's a swerve job, but it doesn't uh, ever hit us direct. So, um, but this one looks like I, it, there's actually some good news. It looks like it is, well, maybe not good news for other people, but for us where we live, it's, uh, you know, maybe beneficial. It looks like it's starting to turn South 
or at least that's what the projection models are saying. Of course, anything could change between now and tomorrow, but um, it's looking like it's turning southeast, uh, like probably like around Venice Beach area, like uh, south of Sarasota. So that's kind of, if that's the case, and the way it's looking, it's looking like it's going to um, hit a cold front. So right now it's super powerful. It's like a three might hit four by the end of the night, but it's going to hit a cold front before it makes landfall and as it hits landfall they're thinking it's going to hit around like a three or a two ish and as it comes up through the land that's going to diminish its power as it starts to travel but because it's hitting a cold front it's going to be a very slow moving storm so uh it looks like we'll probably be on the left side of it which is hypothetically the more beneficial side because as it swirls when you're on the right side, that's where you get the most of the bad bands and most of the terrible weather. Doesn't mean it's going to be good for us on the left side, but it's relatively safer. Um, and since it's hitting further south, as it moves up through the state, it's going to diminish in power, provided it does stay on land and doesn't go back into the water. And um, I don't know, what are your guys... Uh, I mean, have you been looking to see what your uh, situation is looking like as far as, like, storm surge and uh, flooding, all that sort of stuff? Yeah, I've been checking out uh, Dennis Phillips, all his uh, weather updates on Facebook and, you know, checking, you know, the, the flood zone and evacuation zones. Good thing is, so I'm in uh, Carrollwood area of Tampa, which is more <laughs> inland, more kind of the north uh, Tampa area, so we're not in an evacuation zone we're not in a flood zone um so for the most part we're, we're pretty good um so we shouldn't see you know too much bad stuff here i mean it'll bring a lot of rain and wind so got everything off the patio house is pretty secure uh right now and so should be able to yeah. ride this thing out we're a little bit further north than you so you know if it's by the time it's kind of passing over you guys, it'll start to hit us. And so it should be a little bit weaker, but we are closer to the water, I believe, than you guys are. But um, we should be far enough away from where the major storm surges are taking place, just based on all projections. The only, the, the major concerns I have is like, one, if we lose power for days at a time. Yeah. Because they're saying that this storm might take like from Wednesday to Friday morning before it's done <laughs> so it's like damn and then if we lose power that's gonna really because i mean the house is gonna get hot you can't open windows it's just gonna suck and then yeah. um the other thing is isolated tornadoes you know um even with a two or a one um the winds aren't too bad but those are the same kind of scenarios where isolated tornadoes can be created and that can cause a lot of damage and that's something you can't really avoid you just have to hope and pray that you don't end up in in that kind of environment um and then you know the flooding is the biggest issue like 90 percent of hurricane deaths come from flooding and we're nowhere near the storm surges uh but i am concerned about my car um <laughs> mm. uh, just because we're we're in pasco county we're like projected to get uh like between nine to 13 inches of rain but they said accumulations it could rise in certain areas up to 15 to 20 inches at a time uh and i mean you don't have to be a mathematician to know that's enough to total a car i mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah we're, we're gonna look for locations to try to put our cars in uh some safe spots tomorrow 
so that uh, hopefully, you know, um, I don't have to be calling Geico and telling them like, yo, my car is done. <laughs> <laughs> so are you, are you having to work through all this? Nah, 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 nah. I, you know, I, I told, I told my boss uh, today that I, I just was unable to work, had a storm prep, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Which is true. Yeah. For us. Complete, completely, completely true. Prepping hard. <laughs> no, but there was a lot we had to get done. Yeah, kind of similar for us. I mean, they pretty much said, like, for tomorrow and Thursday, if you need to prep and, you know, get your house ready, you can go ahead and do that. And if you lose power, internet, don't worry about it. But, you know, if you have power, internet, and you're all set, then you can then you can work. Mm. Well, worst case scenario, I might be bringing my car to your place. <laughs> Well, there's plenty of room in the driveway, so. Then I'm going to Uber up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but at the same time, storms are unpredictable. You know, uh, as we're getting closer to the actual storm, it, it's becoming the, the margin of errors becoming less and less. But, I mean, even with Irma, we thought Irma was going to take certain paths in the last second. It did something totally different. Yeah, Irma was pretty crazy in uh, was that 2017. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this one's looking like it's going to take the same path as Charlie did back in the day. So, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of crazy because a lot of people evacuated here, went to Orlando or went across the, uh, you know, across the coast to the west side of Florida. And it's like, they might be screwed. Yeah, it happens a lot. People evacuate and the storm seems to kind of follow them where they evacuate to. Yeah, well, you know, um that's enough storm talk, but yeah, it's kind of funny. Like for, for you and I, our day to day, you know, just what's going on in our lives probably has been majorly interrupted. So, you know, recording right now just feels kind of fucking weird. Um, and I'm like, is anyone even going to listen to this tomorrow? There's going to be a hurricane. I mean, but then it's like, oh yeah, the rest of the people listening don't live in Florida necessarily and are right. experiencing a hurricane. Like they're going to be fine. You know, our international fan base, you know, we got people. In. Hey, I've looked at the analytics. We do have people listening from all over the world. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, they're probably like, what hurricane? Like, we're, we're fine. Like, everything's normal here. <laughs> Yo, if this if this shit gets shut down, that dude that gave us the bad review last week is going to be mad happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. He's like, good riddance, sullying the good name of Shinny Han. <laughs> Go watch WWE. Oh, man. Uh, um, yeah, but it, it is kind of scary, you know. Um, we, I, I mean, I've been through some pretty major storms, but never a direct hit from a hurricane. So, um, yeah, but I think that we'll avoid the worst of it where we're at. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. And, and it didn't look like that a few days ago. Yeah, a few days ago, it was looking like, yeah, like you were saying, a direct hit. It was going to come, like, right at us. Like, like the eye was coming literally over where, where our houses are. We're like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, I should be able to get through it. Hopefully power doesn't go out. And, yeah, don't lose air conditioning. Because, yeah, Irma, I lost power for, like, the whole week at my uh, old house. It was not you know, fun. I was staying in a house. Weird weird thing. Um, The house I was staying in did not lose power. But for and I don't know why we didn't have a generator or anything, but every single other house in the entire neighborhood lost power. Which like I, I'm not a like a grid guy. I don't know how power grids work, but 
that sh- seems like that shouldn't be the case, but it was. Like, I don't know. We were on a weird corner. Like, our our shit didn't shut off. <laughs> nice. Everyone else's did. It was kind of crazy. That's wild. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's uh, talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling, the conclusion of the Burning Spirit Tour. Oh, is this, it's over? Yeah, it's a, it's a wrap. All right, good. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to keep going. I thought this was just a stopgap, you know, like, you know, Burning Spirit Night 17, but we still got like 18 more shows to go. And, you know, no, nah, this is Kobe was the last one. We're done. That's it. Last show for September. We'll be moving into a declaration of power at the beginning of the month. And then the, the battle autumn tour and then the, the, the New York pay-per-views and Royal Quest. So yeah, too, much. <laughs> too much. Too uh, much. But of course, uh, we had a continuation of the you know the the dreaded black and white logo with updates on Kushida missing the conclusion of this tour due to uh, a bout of hand foot and mouth disease, which is usually a disease that's really common um, in little children and babies. Um, so Kushida having that having to miss the rest of the tour, he was supposed to be in that big uh, matchup on Sunday, he was with a team with Tama Tonga to face Jay White and Taiji Shimori. He was replaced by Jado uh, throughout the tour. So hopefully uh, Kushida gets well. He is scheduled for a declaration of power. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, and so before we jump into the shows this weekend, they did finally upload the Blue Justice anniversary show with the match with Yuji Nagata versus the great Okan. I did not get a chance to check this match out yet, but young boy, I know you did. What are your thoughts on Yuji Nagata versus great Okan? Yeah, so uh, I watched, uh, I perused, I perused the show. I didn't watch all of it, but I did uh, kind of skim. Um, one funny thing that did happen, I just wanted to point out, there was a tag team match where, um, it was Jeff Cobb and Lord Gideon Gray against uh, the Bull Club team of Chase Owens and uh, Bad Luck Fale. And the match only went like four minutes, but at the end of the match, uh, and it, what it seems to be a reoccurring theme during these this tour that Gideon Gray is losing in quick like fashion mm-hmm. in spots that traditionally wouldn't be finishes for anybody ever in wrestling. <laughs> But he's either like tapping out or getting pinned in like really wacky ways. So you know how Jeff Cobb does the Aloha surf or what? What is it called? Yeah, I think it's the yeah the Aloha. Maybe it is. I don't know. Like the Aloha, he does the surfboard where he stands on the guy's back and like pretends like he's surfing. Yeah. But like Fale did that, but didn't get off. <laughs> <laughs> getting great tapped out. <laughs> <laughs> and um. This show was interesting because um, when I went to go watch it, I didn't think I was watching a whole show. I thought the way they put it up, it looked like, oh, they only put up the uh, Nagata 30th anniversary match, which didn't end up being the case. What, what it was was it was the entire show, but it was broadcast using the Samurai TV broadcast. So I don't know why they had to do that. I've actually never watched any new Japan show that was broadcast this way. So what they were doing was they cut out every entrance entirely and the matches would just begin either right at the beginning or like maybe clipped a little bit. So the match lengths were a little bit shorter. Like Mm. they started it when it was, you know, when the action started going. And then as soon as the match was over and the post-match was done, 
they would they wouldn't do the whole post match. They would like cut it, and then they would immediately splice in a small section of the uh, post match interviews. Hmm. Yeah. So like a show would you know the match would end, and then all of a sudden you start getting an interview, and I'm like, this is kind of cool. Like you know, it's like a tighter format. I'm getting to actually see the backstage comments, although. There was no translation, so it didn't necessarily help me in that respect. But uh, it was kind of like a, a a cleaner, tighter broadcast than your average, you know, when you when you just log into New Japan World and watch the show. Um, so that was kind of interesting. But um, you know, Nagata came out, said his piece to the crowd, thanked everyone for being there, and then at the end of the night it was him and um, Great Okan. And I got to tell you, Jeremy. This one gets a recommend from me. If you haven't seen it, I know you haven't, but for the listeners at home who are also wondering, if you haven't seen Nagata versus Great Okan 30th anniversary match, I would recommend you go out and watch it. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you that this is a match of the year contender or an instant classic, but for Nagata, who I think at this point is obviously starting to, you know, having uh, showing signs of aging and slowing. And uh, that's been the case for a while. But, you know, we always talk about how every year he's able to kind of, you know, pop out a few bangers here and there that are really great. Well, they're still great, but I feel like they're diminishing a little bit, you know. Yeah. Well, that was kind of the case here, but this was a really great and fitting 30th anniversary match for him. And I feel like they picked the right guy for him to go out there and do it with. And uh, they 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 worked their asses off. And one of the uh, key highlights of the match, there's a point where um, Nagata runs up the ropes and does a T-bone suplex off the top rope to Great Okan, which was just fucking rad. Wow. But <laughs> yeah. Now, the, the reason I think Okan was the, the right guy here is because they didn't just work your typical, you know, style of New Japan main event house style match. They really worked in a lot of that MMA centric stuff with the grappling and the submissions which I think lends itself well to Nagata. And then, you know, the strong style kicks and the elbows and blah, blah, blah. Plus, obviously, Okan is heavy on the gimmick. So him putting uh, Nagata in peril a lot was really great. Uh, one of my favorite parts, there's a, a spot where he had um, put the claw on Nagata. Nagata turned that into the Nagata lock. He, like, took the claw and brought it down and put him into the crossface. Nice. And then and then he turned the crossface into like almost a quasi cobra clutch crossface, which I've I haven't really seen that too much. Really cool. Ultimately, um Okan did come out on top. He hit the uh what's his finisher? The dominator. The, the, yeah, the the eliminator. The eliminator. Yeah, he hit the eliminator. He got the big win. Probably went a little over 20 minutes. So for you know Nagata, that's pretty long these days. Uh, really great match. I'd probably go like four stars, maybe a little higher. Mm, nice. Um, yeah, so I, it was it was definitely something where if you didn't see it, I would recommend checking it out. It's probably one of the best matches on the Burning Spirit Tour. And then after the match was over, we got a huge ceremony, which was pretty nice. Uh, that's another thing I would I would say is worth checking out. And you know, Tanahashi came out, and then um, all the old New Japan dads came out, like. Uh, uh, Kojima and uh, Nakanishi came out. They, you know, said their pieces. And then um, I believe there was no translation, so I don't know. But I believe Yuji Nagata's grandson, someone with a, a young, a younger man with his same last name came in. And they had the same nose and everything. I, I can't imagine it's his son unless, like, 
the god is getting it in you know what i'm saying <laughs> but i maybe it's his son maybe it's his grandson but someone that's related to him came in and honored him and then um you know a bunch of like uh the the guys from uh Sekigun came out they honored him and then there was a bunch of video packages and jun akiyama from ddt gave him a, a shout out kiji muto gave him a shout out um tatsumi fujinami came out and gave him roses and honored him and then everyone that was there they all came out they took big photo group photo it was really nice really really cool you know for them to kind of honor him they they kept calling him mr iwgp you know probably because he set that record initially for like 10 title defenses before um tanahashi did and before Mm. okada broke before tanahashi and okada broke the record he was the first guy that like broke the records you know what i mean yeah um and you know and he carried the company during the dark stages of the company's past and everything like that so really really nice really cool um if you don't check out anything else from that show i'd I'd highly recommend you go check out the main event and the post match yeah i'll definitely go and check that out it kind of stinks that they waited so long to get it up but i guess because of the way that they edited it together maybe that's why it took so long for it to get it up on but it, Japan it aired that way on uh samurai tv so maybe it was a samurai tv uh you know exclusivity sort mm. of deal or yeah. maybe they they might have had issues with their production on their side i don't know true well, now it's up on New Japan World. Uh, I guess the, the recommend from the young boy, uh, Notebook, four stars. So go check that out. Check out the uh, celebration of Blue Justice, Yuji Nagata. Now let's talk about the Burning Spirit show that happened uh, this past Friday, September 23rd. show opened up. We had Kosei Fujita defeating Rihoi Oiwa, four minutes and 33 seconds. And we were talking a couple weeks ago. First time in a while that these guys have a singles match. What do you think about how these guys looked? A short matchup, only four minutes, 33 seconds, but I thought they looked good. Yeah, I thought they looked good. There wasn't enough here for me to really assess and, um, you know, give a uh, a letter grade or, you know, remarks and tell you this is where they were, this is where I see them now, because I just don't think there was enough there for me to stick my teeth into, but it was highly enjoyable. I think these guys are special the way that we said they were when they first, uh, you know, got into the company and they just continue to be really great when it comes to one-on-one action and these singles matches and everything like that. Um, Like you said, four minutes wasn't super long, but for what they were asked to do, I felt like they delivered. There's one spot that I loved where um, uh, I, I, I can't remember who did it to who, but uh, I believe well, I can be. Uh, it's fifty-fifty. So, um, <laughs> I believe Fujita uh, threw Oiwa into the corner, ran and hit him with the drop kick, and then rebounded off the drop kick and ran and hit the other ropes like he was gonna, you know, do something else when uh, when the guy like stumbled out of the corner. And as he was coming back off the opposite ropes, he got hit with a drop kick, and then they did the double down spot. And I was like, that's so fucking. Yeah, sick. that was like, a pretty cool spot. Yeah, but, uh, you know, ultimately Fujita, you know, got him in the Boston Crab. And, you know, usually we see one of these guys power out, get to the ropes, and and the match continue. And I thought that's what was going to happen here, but it was very definitive. He got close, pulled him back, wrenched on it, bam, 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 tapped out. Pretty good. Did you have any thoughts on this one? Yeah, like you mentioned, I thought it was uh, pretty good for a four-minute match. I thought they worked really hard. I was, I'm surprised they didn't go the route of doing the 10-minute draw. You know, a lot of times we see these young line rivals. Uh, well, this uh, one was 15 minutes. 
or 15 minutes uh, draw. A lot of times these young riders, they start off with a 10 minute draw and they'll go to the 15 minute draw. And we kind of see that story of them, you know, who's going to get the first win. It seems like they're not really going quite that route here with Vegeta getting this quick kind of dominant win over Oiwa. So maybe the story is going to be, you know, Oiwa is going to have to, you know, fight and come back and, you know, try to beat Vegeta faster than Vegeta beat him on this night. But I thought they both look good. Their wrestling is really solid. I would love to see, you know, longer matches and some of those guys against maybe some of the New Japan dads to see kind of more of what they're, how they're developing. Yeah, and they're still working in that um, Greco-Roman body lock, uh, you know, pummeling style of lockup, which you don't see too much of that. And I like that. You see a little bit of it in New Japan, but not much elsewhere. And I think that that's a great, you know, grappling tactic that makes a lot of sense to me. And, you know, it doesn't always have to be a collar elbow tie up. I I think the Greco-Roman lockup works just as well. And I like that they still, you know, utilize that in their matches. Yeah. So following that, we had a bullet club team of Bad Luck Fale, Chase Owens, and Hikaleo defeating Gideon Gray, Great Ocon, and Jeff Cobb, 8 minutes and 3 seconds, continuing to preview the tag match that was to come in Kobe. Then we had ELP and Kenta defeating Bushi and Shingo Takagi, continuation of the uh, ELP and Shingo um, rivalry and the whole Who's Your Daddy storyline that they're uh, doing right now. Which is getting kind of kinky. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially when, when we get to Kobe. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Uh, then following that, we had Hiromu, Sonata, and Naito defeating Taichi, Taka, and Zack Sabre Jr. Nine minutes and eight seconds building up the Dangerous Tekkers versus uh, Naito and Sonata matchup that would happen on Kobe. Then TMDK's Badu, Tito, Jonah, and Shane Hayes defeated Togi Makabe, Tomioka Hanma, and Kazuchika Okada, 8.28 building up the Okada-Jonah match coming up next month. Then we had Jado and Tamatanga teaming up with Tanahashi and Yano to defeat Doc Gallows, Jay White, Carl Anderson, and Taiji Ishimori, previewing that Tamatanga and Jay White title match, as well as the Never title match that was to happen with Tanahashi and Carl Anderson. Then the semi-main event of the evening was the Never Openweight six-man tag team title Tornado Dog Cage Survival Match. <laughs> what a title. <laughs> My God. With the House of Torture, Evil, Sho, and Yujiro Takahashi accompanied with Dick Togo, they defeated the Chaos team of Hiroki Goto, Yo, and Yoshihashi to become the new Never Openweight Six-Man Tag Team Champions. The Never Openweight Six-Man Tag Team title, Tornado Dog Cage Survival Match, that reminds me of the one, uh, probably the most famous match in Mid South wrestling history, which was a match uh, from. Um, well, they did it a few places, but uh, they did it. Uh, I, I I believe they did it in the Superdome. I could be wrong, but uh, it's Ted DiBiase versus uh, Jim Duggan, the blow off feud from '85, and the match was a coal miner's glove on a pole tuxedo street fight cage match (laughs) (laughs) and as crazy as that sounds as as wacky as that sounds two guys trying to climb a pole inside of a steel cage in a street fight wearing tuxedos you know that that has vince russo written all over it It does yeah it's one of the greatest matches of the 80s and it's generally universally you know considered the best match of mid-south period um 
this match, the dog cage match, was not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this match was pretty disappointing. Um, I mean, first of all, they didn't really follow the rules that were posted. They on... might have. They well, might have. I thought about this. We might be misunderstanding the rules. Well, I, maybe... re- I read them from the English website. Right, but sometimes they translate shit wrong. Or maybe they maybe they were trying to convey what it was and they were doing a poor job explaining because the rules were so convoluted. Or maybe you're right. Maybe they just completely didn't follow the rules, which is usually a hallmark staple of companies that are doing bad booking in overbooked matches. You know, that's very much WCW right there. Yeah, so like we talked about last week, the, the whole the, the rules were at least as as it was stated on njpw1972.com, there would be dog cages on four sides of the ring on the outside, which there were, and if you threw somebody into the cage and locked it, that person was supposed to be eliminated from the match, and, right, and not but, come back in. At least that's what it sounded he- like. That's what it sounded like. But what about this? What if it, what if they simply meant that they were intrinsically eliminated from the match? Just meaning like you're in a cage, so you can't participate. But there's nothing in the rules that stated you can't get out of the cage and come back in. I, I think that we were of the belief that if everyone on the team got put in a cage and locked, that the match ended. That's what, that's what, that's what it was. That's what the rules were. That's what I thought, but it sounds like maybe hypothetically it might be it was just pin or submission, and the cages were just there as like a distraction tool to get people, you know, more like an obstacle than a you know than a, a elimination stipulation. But maybe you're right. Maybe maybe they just uh, didn't follow the rules of what they told us because literally within. The first, like, 30 seconds. (laughs) Yeah, like, in the first early couple minutes of the match, uh, we wound up with a situation where Goto and Yoshihashi were both simultaneously locked in a dog cage. And as soon as that happened, I thought, oh, my God. (laughs) We're watching a match where it's all four members of the House of Torture versus Yo. (laughs) This is not good. We're watching the yo like it's like when Shawn Michaels had to fight off all of Eric Bischoff's cronies at Survivor Series to try and save Stone Cold's career. Yeah, yo has to fight off all of the House of Torture alone to try and retain the Never Titles. Which, in you know what, now that I'm saying it, as bad as that sounds, that might might have ended up being better than what ended up being the you know sum total of this match because those guys got out of the cage. And then other people got put in the cage, and then they got out of the cage, and then the cages were just like a distraction and kind of superfluous. And also, it sucked when they were fighting near the cages; like it was so boring, bro. Yeah, this match was was a stinker. Um, it was I, a dumpster fire. And even though it was a crazy stipulation, I felt like they had the they had the setup to do something compelling. Like we were talking about last week, they could have done the whole right. Elimination style where, you know, you start off three versus three, then it's, you know, the heels are up three versus two, then the babyfaces come back, it's two versus two. And you work, right. it, you work it down to where you have one babyface left and there's two heels and he has to fight from underneath and try to get, you know, both heels out of there. And then they could have still had him, the face being overwhelmed and the heels win. But I feel like there's a more compelling story that they could have told with the stipulation, but they didn't do that. They just had guys going in and out of the cage. 
Um, and then eventually it came down to being Evil um, and Yo, the last two guys, and Evil just beat Yo. There's also the thing where, like, um, Dick Togo's not in the match, but there's no rules, so he's just jumping in, and the referee's not doing shit. He's not. But then they do a ref bump, and when they do the ref bump, they do, like, a low blow spot for Heat, and the crowd boos it. And I'm like, why, why did they do that? There's no... There's no rules. So if the referee didn't get bumped and saw them hit the low blow, he couldn't do shit anyway. Exactly, yeah. What, what is the point of this spot? Like, who thought that this was a good idea? Um, I don't think that the match was laid out particularly well, and I don't no, think it not worked all. particularly well, you know. Um, I, 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 I'm flabbergasted. And I, and you know what? <laughs> There's probably a lot of people who are listening there thinking, like, what did you expect? It's House of Torture, and it's, you know, a, a Yano gimmick. But... I just thought that they had enough to work with to potentially, I'm not saying have a great match, but have something that was, you know, passable or serviceable. But this was like actively bad. Yeah, I mean, I think we've been on the record that when House of Tortures in six man matches, that's usually where they shine. Right. Um, versus when they're in one on one matchups. And so we've, we've seen some decent, you know, six man matches with House of Torture. And then you have Goto, uh, Yo and Yoshihashi in there. And Goto and Yoshihashi are. You know, they, they kill it as a team, and, you know, Yo's there. Um, Yo used to kill it as a team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> until the team got killed. Um, so, yeah, they, they had the, the pieces there to make something fun, a, a good matchup, but they just didn't do it. It, it was a bad booking from bad creative. Um, like you mentioned, that the match wasn't worked really well. There, there was, like, no life, no energy to it. It's, it's, just, it's just bad. Yeah. And then, you know, the, down the tail end, it, it became a, a match of Yo versus Evil, and ultimately Evil caught him into everything is evil and picked up the win, the one, two, three. Uh, this is 18 minutes that I'll never get back, and I, I, I think I want him back. So, <laughs> Gato, he owe us. <laughs> also, speaking of uh, uh, Mid South Wrestling, shout out to one Rich Latta. Uh, if you guys didn't see the tweet, uh, he published a uh well through voices of wrestling he wrote an article that was published through voices of wrestling uh the case for junkyard dogs inclusion in the hall of fame and, and, and namely the wrestling observer newsletter hall of fame and uh if you haven't caught that definitely go on to twitter or go to voices of wrestling or you can probably find that on social suplex or rich's uh twitter but yeah me and him we spoke quite a bit this past week and yeah i thought he did a a really, really, really fantastic job uh, kind of honoring the legacy of Junkyard Dog and uh, making a pretty palatable argument for why he deserves inclusion in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I thought Rich did an excellent job kind of laying out the case for Junkyard Dog and his history and uh, kind of really you know pushing for it and pushing this uh, case for Junkyard Dog. And, you know, we've seen several votes go by where Junkyard Dog just doesn't get enough votes to, to get into the Observer Hall of Fame. So hopefully... Uh, people read this article, and, and this year when the Hall of Fame comes around and people vote, uh, JYD gets in. I'll tell you this, too. Uh, I saw a couple, not a lot, but a couple people that were um, a little negative on the topic, which is to be a little bit expected because the guy's not in the Hall of Fame, so there's definitely some people that have votes that dissent on the idea. But um, one of the things that I saw kind of echoed was they're like, we would need more information. And um, when Rich wrote this article, and I, I don't want to speak for him, but J 
just my understanding of it was that he didn't do this as an exhaustive case study or like dissertation where he was going to present each and every single factoid. What Rich did was he wrote a concise article using an economy of words to really honor, honor the legacy and lay out a compelling argument. But it wasn't an exhaustive argument. Me and Rich talked about a lot of other things that were left out of the article that you could still throw at the case if you really were so inclined that he decided to not even throw in there. But probably because of uh, you know the length of the article would be so long if you did you know venture down certain avenues and paths and arguments and cases and blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So you know. It's funny. There's people who are like, ah, I don't know about this article. There wasn't enough info to really sway me. It's like, well, the info's out there, guys. Do your own research. You know, do your own research. Like, <laughs> it's not like this stuff's secret. You know, the internet does exist. And if you have a vote, you probably have a, a, enough of a voice to, uh, you should probably be doing that research before you uh, place these votes. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. So yeah, check I out. I mean, it's, it's the junkyard dog, bro. Like, he should be in the Hall of Fame. I think anyone that knows the history of wrestling probably agrees with that that's not i mean that's a bizarre notion that he's he shouldn't be in it I don't right know. That, that shouldn't be a hot take like that should be like yeah. a fact like oh yeah it's jyd <laughs> yeah well it's funny um you know brian last talked about he was like you know when the first class of observer newsletter hall of famers w- were selected it was selected by dave Meltzer. it was all people that were like open and shut you know common sense selections and he said there were certain people that were overlooked that were kind of like exclusions that probably should have been thrown in there he's like jyd is easily one of those guys and probably should have just been put in uh immediately but probably wasn't because he was still living at the time mm-hmm. and he's like but uh if he had been no one would have said anything about it you know what i mean right so it's like yeah anyways check out the article if you guys haven't and shout out to rich and uh yeah Yep, check it out, VoicesOfWrestling.com. So uh, let's talk about the main event real quick from this show. Eight-man tag elimination match. We had 6 or 9, Watto Noguchi teaming up with David Finley and the DKC to defeat the United Empires, Aaron Hanare, Francisco Akira, TJP, and Will Ospreay. And this match was previewing the junior tag team title match that was on Kobe with 6 or 9 versus Akira and TJP, and then previewing the U.S. match with Will Ospreay and David Finley. It was previewing something else, too, that you forgot to mention. It was previewing the karate chops of one, the DKC. <laughs> the yeah, this uh, commentary DKC team, they fire. Got, yeah, they got hype when he was throwing those karate chops. Like, Dude, they were like, it, Milano loves DKC. <laughs> DKC fire! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, the match was fun. You know, I'm I'm always down for a good tag team uh, elimination match, especially in New Japan. Mm-hmm. And uh, this one was very good. Um, came down to the finals of being Dave Finley and um, Aaron Hanare, which makes a lot of sense because Dave Finley obviously needs to kind of be um, strengthened up a little bit. Come, you know, he's about to challenge for the uh, the U.S. title the the, the following show. But at the same time, in uh, in a lot of these elimination matches, they'll give someone that you don't expect to win the victory. Like, say, in LIJ, Abushi, or in Bullet Club, a Chase Owens. Um, kind of like the lower man on the totem pole. And that's exactly who Aaron Hanare is at this current time out of these guys in the group. 
So when it came down to him, I was like, oh, shit, like he might potentially pick up the, you know, because you can do the over the top rope gimmick. And I was like, he might get this guy out over the top rope and pick up the the visual win on behalf of Osprey, you know, like right. they screwed Dave Finley out of the win. And they came close to, to they teased that quite a few times, which I thought was pretty compelling down the stretch. But ultimately, Dave Finley was still able to get the jabron out of there and uh <laughs> established i'm just joking you know i love uh um freaking hanari he's awesome but uh yeah he picked up the win here and um you know setting himself up for you know being a credible challenger against will osprey's u.s title yeah they definitely need to get finley's momentum going into that match in kobe and it was interesting towards the end there it was a hanare and osprey against finley at the end and osprey was going for the oz cutter finley pushes hanare into osprey which sends Osprey over the top. That's how Osprey got eliminated and got down to Hanare and Finley. Um, so it was an interesting way to get Osprey out of there without, you know, eating a pinfall or looking bad as a champion, and then also giving credibility and momentum to uh, David Finley getting the win there over Hanare and going in with all the momentum into Kobe. And so that wraps that show up, and that takes us to Burning Spirit in Kobe, which happened this past Sunday. September 25th, big show here to close off the tour. Uh, so started off, we had the LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromu, and Chingo Takagi. They defeated the Bullet Club team of El Fantasmo, Hikaleo, and Kenta. And here we saw the continuation again of the, the Chingo and ELP uh, Hoosier uh, daddy storyline. You know, ELP has been saying that he's Shingo's daddy, he has a shirt, out for it, and Chingo has been trying to get, um, you know, some royalties since ELP used the the Shingo font on the shirt, um, and then uh, Shingo has kind of turned it around this match and was saying that he is ELP's daddy, and um, there was a ref distraction here. Shingo hit a low blow and then did his uh, Cobra twist uh, pinfall to finally get a pinfall over ELP after. Several, you know, matches where ELP has gotten the better of Shingo. And then uh, after that, he put ELP over his knee and spanked him and said, I am your daddy. Yeah. Um, the whole thing is kind of, uh, I don't know, a little bit goofy. It seems like obviously we're leading to some sort of KOPW stipulation match. But uh, I, my big concern is that this is going to end up being some sort of like diaper it's not that that's a stipulation is out for it. Uh, oh, it is out. Okay. Yes. It wasn't it. When did that come out? Uh, on Monday. They're starting. Okay. I didn't know that. Stuff. Yeah. So I was like, getting, I was just getting worried that it was going to be like some sort of like, you got to feed them baby food <laughs> or, you know, no. Know. So it's actually going to be a regular match, regular rules match. But the stipulation is the loser has to admit that the other person is their daddy. That's it. Yeah. So it's just a regular stipulation match, and the loser says, you're my daddy. Yes. All right. (laughs) (laughs) So, hey, at least it's a regular match. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Yeah, it could be worse, so. (laughs) So, yeah, so, yeah, Shingo gets some revenge here, and they they build to the Hoosier daddy match. What did you think of the spanking? Uh, a little weird. I'm I'm not happy with what Chingo's doing right now, and you know I, I like ELP a lot, and I'm glad that these two are feuding. But this is not how I would have imagined a Chingo 
ELP feud to go. And also another thing, Shingo, after months, has finally brought back out the KOPW trophy after saying how he's going to, you know, make a bigger trophy or get a title. And he comes out the same rinky-dink KOPW trophy that has, like, a title belt on it. And I'm like, all this talk and, you know, not showing the trophy for months and, like, this is what he brings out, like... Dude, what are we doing with Chingo, man? Like, get this man back in the title picture. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I kind of feel the same way you do, but um, at the same time, I mean, I feel like th- this is a good first opponent for uh, newly heavyweight, uh, you know, Phantasmo. It, uh, I could do without the stipulation itself, but uh, at least they, you know, have someone credible for both guys to work with that I can kind of uh, get behind, if that makes sense. Yeah. So then uh, following that, we had Doc Gallows and Toriano wrestling to a double count out three minutes and 45 seconds. Yeah, this one um, was, you know, I don't know. It could have been worse in a certain sense because it's Yano and we could have got, you know, the Yano wackiness and the bullshit. And we still did kind of get bullshit, but essentially Gallows didn't go out there to have a wrestling match. He went out there to beat Toro Yano's ass, and Yano was not really prepared for it. He kept trying his trickery. It didn't work. Gallows just cut him off the whole time, and then eventually the ass beating proceeded to go up the ramp where he mounted the guy, kept punching him until you know they got counted out. The, the one bad thing, the one good thing it would have been is had this hypothetically been your typical Yano match, this could have been a one and done sort of situation. But instead, because it ended on that count out, seems like we're going to get some sort of continuation of this feud after the fact. So um, the one thing I'm wondering, though, because we'll get to it, but these guys had interaction in the semi-main event as well after this. And um, Yano really got his ass beat and was trying to be the trickster god that he's known to be, and it didn't work. Maybe he needs to pull out the most violent players persona to combat uh, Luke Gallows, where if that's the case, I might be able to kind of get behind that if that's where this is going. No one has said that that's the case, but just kind of looking at classic wrestling booking, I could see that being a logical next step. Yeah, I think we've seen with Yano a lot of times there are guys where the tricking doesn't work and that does cause him to go back to that MVP character. We saw that in the G1 this year. You know, he's facing Okada. He's like, all right, if I'm going to have any shot of beating Okada, I, I got to go back to the, you know, the most violent player version of myself and really be super aggressive. And so maybe that's where it's building. Hopefully that's where it's building because honestly, I really don't want to see another Doc Gallows Yano singles match with just a regular, uh, you know, trickster Yano. Um, and, you know, this match was, I don't, honestly, I don't even know why it was here. I, I guess you, you need to do something with Doc Gallows. I'm not sure why the bright idea is to put him in a rivalry with Yano and why we need to cart them out here for three minutes and 45 seconds on this particular card when we had a whole tour they could have done this match, but it is what it is. So uh, moving on from that, we had the United Empire team of the great Ocon and Jeff Cobb accompanied by Gideon Gray. They defeated the Bullet Club team of Bad Luck Fale and Chase Owens. Seven minutes and 57 seconds. These are uh, two former IWGP World Tag Team Champions who were kind of jockeying for position 
for next in line for the winners of FTR and Aussie Open. You know, Conor and Okab, they did not um, eat the pin that three-way at Forbidden Door. And Chase and um, Bale had beaten Cobb and Ocon before for the title. So a lot of history here. Both teams kind of, like I said, jockeying for position. And the United Empire came out on top here. Yeah, um, this was fine. Um there wasn't much to it. I mean, there had kind of been that uh, little bit of build I mentioned where Fale sort of stole Ocon's signature move. And obviously these two teams have some history with one another. And um, yeah, I thought it was good. It wasn't necessarily standout or great, but uh, considering that it was a Fale and Owens match, I feel like it could have been worse. It was probably an easy three stars and, you know, it, it was fine. It was just there. Yeah, fine mats, you know, just under eight minutes. Accomplished what they need to do. Got, um, you know, Cobb and Ocon over for the win there. And so it seems like Con and Ocon could potentially be next in line for the tag team titles. Yeah, they even said as much on the uh, commentary. They mentioned how this was essentially a de facto number one contender tag team match. So... And, and it makes all the sense in the world that it would be the United Empire team of Cobb and Ocon because they have dropped the titles twice, but in both situations, it was multi-team uh, matches where the team that lost on their behalf wasn't them. So they've never actually taken a direct pinfall loss to lose the title belts. And uh, this puts them firmly in the you know number one contender's uh, position for FTR. Um, FTR have a pretty major title defense coming up against um, Aussie Open here shortly in the UK. And then after that, um, you know, it looks like all systems are go. The only thing is I'm wondering if we have enough time to do a match between another United Empire team, um, assuming hypothetically that Aussie o- if Aussie Open wins, then you've got an issue because then you've got two United Empire teams, the champions and the number one contenders. So you know, there's a little bit of, you know, inner turmoil, but maybe they can put that aside and work professionally and have a, you know, a, a sporting contest for the titles. Um, or if uh, more likely FTR retain, well, now we got a situation where United Empire have to wrestle them, but where does that happen? Are, are these guys going to get visas and come work in Japan? And, you know, is that have the arrangements been made for that? Is there a stage set in November for that to take place? Also, you know, World Tag League is looming around the corner. If it's unlikely that FTR comes to Japan and, you know, also potentially unlikely that uh, uh, United Empire heads back to America and wrestles them, say, on Dynamite or something like that, there might not be enough time for that for United Empire to even actually make a claim and challenge for the title. They might just go into World Tag League as number one contenders and once they enter that tournament without cashing in on their, you know, status, who knows? They might not even win the tournament or, you know, uh, all bets are off at that point. Yeah, a lot of question marks just due to the FDR status and kind of what they're going to do moving forward. This is their first defense. I mean, they won the belts back in June and only now we're getting the first defense here at the beginning of October. So we'll see what the plans are for those guys. If we'll see them 
in Japan if they're going to make some strong tapings or what they're going to do to uh, kind of continue on as tag team champions. Also, uh, Kevin Kelly also made a point on commentary like it, it seems like the IWGP committee is like tired of triple threats, and so they made this matchup because they, they didn't want to do another three-way and have the teams complaining about you know not eating the, the pinfall and not being fair. So that, that That's was- probably part of it. They probably also got tired of this podcast complaining about it. They were like, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> These guys are always telling the truth on us. You know, it, it, it'd just be better if we just didn't, you know. Let's just not. Yeah. So following that, we then had Dangerous Techers, Tai Chi and Zack Sabre Jr. They defeated the LIJ team of Sonata and Tetsuya Naito. Nine minutes and 32 seconds. Uh, these teams have been at each other. Um, for a while now, going from their matches in the G1 and then springing on through this whole uh, Burning Spirit tour. And last time, we saw um, Sonata getting the, the pinfall over Tai Chi when Tai Chi was going to uh, his signature spot where he rips off his uh, pants and goes for his finish, and then Sonata caught him with the O'Connor roll. We got a similar ending here where Tai Chi was uh, doing going to go for that spot once again, and Sonata was going to capitalize, but um, Tai Chi used it on his behalf to um, get the momentum over on Sonata and able to pin Sonata. Yeah, um, I thought this match was pretty good. Uh, Like we mentioned, these teams have even more history with one another than the previous match that we just uh, kind of reviewed. And um, beyond just... uh, all, all four men working together in various tag situations. They all have a lot of singles history with each other. Um, the main thing here is it really seemed like it was a tale of two different singles matches combined in a, in a tag match. You kind of have Taichi and Sonata who sort of have a friendly gamesmanship sort of sporting one upsmanship sort of uh, situation going on where they're trying to out, do one another when it comes to the sport of wrestling. And then you have Naito and Zack Sabre who, you know, the tensions between them have just kind of been boiling over ever since the G1, you know, with Naito embarrassing uh, Zack and Zack having that chip on his shoulder and trying to get revenge and his comeuppance for suffering that big loss that cost him the G1. And um, that's pretty much it. Anytime those two guys were in the ring together, there was a lot of you know, rage and, and, you know, hard fights or hard, hard fought action going on. And then when it came to Tai Chi and um, Sonata was much more technical and, and, you know, um, that's kind of how I saw it. And I think that's what was sort of to be expected considering how the preview tag matches went prior to this. Right. And the, the post match built right into that as well. Uh, Sonata was kind of impressed that Tai Chi caught him in the Gato clutch and, they had a, a mask exchange where uh, Sonata gave him his uh, cold skull mask and Tai Chi gave uh, Sonata his uh, his entrance mask and kind of motioning to kind of, you know, one more time, kind of motion back and forth to each other. And then Sabre and Naito got in the ring and they, they both started grabbing each other's ears and, you know, kind of, you know, messing with each other. And then the ref was trying to break it up and they both grabbed the ref's ear and then they were both going at each other. So even though um, Saber and Ninetales is, is definitely a more contentious kind of relationship, there is kind of this kind of love-hate kind of buddy cop kind of vibe to them where it's like they hate each other, but at the same time, like they kind of have some kind of respect for each other. 
but their their hate really fuels their relationship at, at times. Yeah, definitely. And this even felt a little bit more chummy than they normally are with one another. Um, that post match between Tai Chi and Sonata. So, and, and it, you know, it kind of makes sense because they don't have a program going on. There's not uh, a professional or personal animosity going on in this situation. I feel like if I was them, though, I'd be a little. Um, I don't know, kind of perturbed or annoyed at the other, my teammates sort of letting personal, you know, um, issues kind of get in the way of what could have been hypothetically in kayfabe, a pretty important tag team match, you know, and it seemed like their personal vendettas were taking the forefront as opposed to focusing on the success of the tag team as a whole. Yeah. And on for, com- for, for both teams. Yeah. And on commentary, they put over, you know, this match, um, this match main evented shows last year and could main event, you know, promoters would be dying to have this match main event is a pretty big tag team match, but it wasn't really treated like that. Also, it was more about kind of the, the personal rivalries and the kind of bickering with Naito and Sabre. And we didn't really get a standout match like we saw last year. It was really more story based and just kind of driving home the point that Sabre and Naito um, really just can't stand each other. And Sabre's desperately wanting to get revenge on Naito. Yep, absolutely. So then after that, we had the TMDK unit of Bad Dude Tito, Jonah, and Hysterical Shane Hayes. They defeated Togi Makabe, Tomio Kahanma, and Kazuchika Okada. 12 minutes and 9 seconds, continuing to build the, the big rematch for Jonah and Kazuchika Okada, which will be happening at the beginning of the month coming up here at a Declaration of Power in two weeks. This was fine, you know, for a 12-minute preview match. Uh, they got quite a bit in. I mean, we've talked at length about how, uh, you know, uh, impressed we are with Bad Dutito and Shane Haste. I think both those guys are doing a lot to kind of make the most of their situation as being the second banana to Jonah, who is the premier, primary focus of his team because, obviously, he's the one that's challenging Okada. Um and obviously it's Okada. Okada is great in these, even if a bit subdued in these uh, preview tag team matches. But I feel like a lot of the major action really came down to Great Bash Heel trying to double team and take out Jonah. And Jonah kind of overwhelming them, uh, even though it's a two-on-one situation, you know. And we saw him the the previous show. He hit the King Kong, or not the, what, what's his uh, finisher called? The Big Splash. The Torpedo. I keep forgetting. He hit the torpedo on um, um, Togi Makabe a couple nights prior, so it felt like he was trying to uh, complete the set and, you know, take out Hanma, which he was also successful in doing here, which one thing I really liked is how when he's hitting the torpedo now, I think they've always, maybe they've done this, but now it's becoming, like, super exaggerated when, when he lands. They like, I don't know how they do it because I'm not a camera guy, but they like shake the camera and like span it in and out a little bit. And it, it's an awesome effect. Dude, I, like, I love it so much. It's the like same kind of thing they do for his entrance where he does like the yeah. stomp and like the whole like, you know, rig shakes and everybody like falls down. But yeah. Right. And that, that one's kind of funny. Like in a sense, it's like, oh, it's a little gimmick is cute. But this one's like, holy fuck. He just like murdered. <laughs> like it, it makes the move look, which is already impressive as is, look way 
impressive. Yeah, you have, you know, what, he's like 3, like 50 or something like that. Yeah. Pound guy just jumping off the top rope. Yeah, that's already crazy already. But then with the added camera effect, it looks even crazier. And it looks like he's just, like, driving these guys through the mat. He, he like, squashed Hanma. Um, he, had, he had to get a spatula to get Hanma off the mat. Like, it, it was devastating. Yeah, and then in the post-match, you know, we see Jonah standing tall in the ring and the visuals, Okada on the outside, you know, and it's just like, he can't get one up on this guy. Like, how's he going to uh, defeat him? He couldn't beat him in the G1, hasn't had a lot of success in these, uh, um, you know, preview tag team matches. Like, what's the deal? Is this guy going to be game when it comes time for them to have their big match declaration of power. And I think that's the idea that they really want to establish the dominance of Jonah, which is what they've been doing. And I think they're doing it successfully. Yeah. And Jonas, he's just, he's getting over huge with these Japanese crowds. Just getting the, the big oohs and ahs and the crowds really digging him. And I really hope that he sticks around. I think he's a breath of a breath of fresh air in uh, new Japan and this heavyweight division and I think he'd be uh, a great asset to use going forward. I do wonder. I'm wondering if he's going to be sticking around or, uh, you know, there's the rumors about Uncle Paul calling all his long-lost children. <laughs> all, all his orphans. All his orphans saying, come home, daddy's here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to father you. Let me father you. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure based off of everybody else that he's contacted, I'm sure he probably contacted jonah hopefully uh jonah was not lured away by the money and kind of sticks around and does some more things i mean if i were jonah i would at least want to get a tokyo dome match before i even considered leaving if i was jonah i'd want the iwgp world heavyweight title bargaining chip and million dollar payday (laughs) (laughs) i mean he deserves it he beat the best wrestler in the world right right yeah (laughs) So uh, after that, we had uh, Jay White and Taiji Ishimori defeating Jado and Tamatonga. So this was the no, mat. they beat Kushida. <laughs> My yeah. run sheet says it was Kushida. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Kushida wearing a Tamatonga or a Jado costume. Yeah, he's wearing a bald cap. <laughs> he just uh, really wanted to work. He wanted to get in there. You know? <laughs> foot, ma- foot, mouth, and. Uh, what is it called? Hand, foot, and mouth uh, disease. Hand, foot, mouth disease be damned. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. Uh, they put Jado in there. Yep, so yeah, Jado was there. Obviously, the the, the main uh, pin eater for this. So uh, he uh, submitted to uh, the bone lock from Taichi Ishimori. And so Bull Club team standing tall here. And I kind of felt like Tamatanga really needs, needs a little bit more juice kind of going into uh, declaration of power. We did see what happens. There's a little angle that happens later on that does give him a little bit more momentum, but obviously with Jado in the match, his chances of winning this were not very good at all. Well, you know, part of it is like this. He, they, they did the um, the whole angle a while back where G.O.D. got kicked out of the Bull Club, got turned on in Impact. Then they come back to Japan and the whole entire crew kicks them out. They turn babyface. They do the Hontai thing. They shake hands with Tanahashi, and they're starting to heat him up, you know? And then he's suffering, 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 wins the Never title, suffering some more. You know, he's this plucky underdog babyface who, you know, in a fair fight would win, but 
the numbers game of the bull club is just kind of keeping him down. And then uh, he loses that never title to Carl Anderson, goes into the G1, and makes it his mission to get to Jay White and beat him. And then he does. But then he loses to Okada, and it feels like that's the end of his arc. And afterwards, there wasn't, there hasn't been a lot to, uh, you know, he he's getting a title shot against Jay White off the back of his victory in the G1, but there hasn't. Obviously, Jay hasn't really been on the tour um, too much up till now. And it just hasn't felt like with uh, with Tama that they have maintained that upwards momentum that they had going into the G1 where it was like mm-hmm. he had this mission, you know, he had this this thing where it's like he was their guy and now he's our guy and we're going to back him and we're going to push him. And maybe part of it, too, is like we don't have vocal crowds. You know, I, I feel like we got spoiled a little bit for those two shows in Corkin a little while back. It was like, oh, man, it could be like this again. Yeah. And now it's back to, you know, the claps. So, um, which is never good. You never want the clap. It's not good. Um, <laughs> crowds, that is. But uh, it, it just this doesn't feel like a guy that actually has a chance. Like. Could he have beaten Jay White in the G1? Yes. It wasn't necessarily the the most likely thing, but it was something that could happen, and so you felt compelled by that story. But in this case, he probably has no realistic shot at beating Jay White, and since he has no shot at beating Jay White, it's kind of feeling a little bit like, damn, like there's not a lot of, there's not the same kind of crowd support. There hasn't been the same focus on him. And in a weird way, it almost feels like they're not the main story going into this declaration of power it really feels like it's been jonah and okada so much so like my girlfriend came in the room today she's like okada's still champion i was like no (laughs) she's like when do you lose the title and i was like in june she's like who's the champion i was like i was like jay waito she's like oh i didn't know <laughs> you know like this guy even though he has the belt he doesn't feel like the champion right yeah know? yeah they've done such an excellent job building up the okada jonah match that's been the key match through this whole tour and it seems like it's the top match and you know it, they could have made an event with that because you typically you don't do two foreigners in sumo hall in a big show in the main event uh, oh, I didn't think of that. That's true. So so Okada and Jonah could end up being the main event, and Tama and Jay could be semi-main. Bro, if they do that, that's they would be hoeing the fuck out of Jay White. <laughs> Remember, like, uh, you know what that's like? That's like when uh, CM Punk was the world champion, and but John, John Cena, Cena would... had all the main events. Yeah, they put uh, or like... John Cena and uh, Johnny Ace over uh, a CM Punk match. They did it at every pay-per-view for a year. Yeah. Or yeah, that's like when the Ultimate Warrior was world champion. And Hulk Hogan got all the main events. Mm-hmm. Or like when Macho Man was world champion. And Hulk Hogan got all the main <laughs> events. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what it feels like. Yeah, so. yeah. Hopefully. Or when Hangman Adam Page was world champion. And CM Punk kind of was the main event. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it's not uh, thrown to a fan vote because I have a feeling the fans might might definitely vote for the Okada Jonah match uh, over Tama and Jay. 
That's because they're racist. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to keep the white man down. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah. Um, you know, yeah, like you mentioned, a big thing, too, was both Jay and Tama were not on this tour. So this was the first time they were back on the tour. So there wasn't really a ton to really heat this match up. And they didn't do anything on Strong. Jay was on Strong and cut a promo that kind of built into what was happening in this in the this on this night but Tama wasn't on strong there was nothing on impact like there was nothing at all to really try and add some more juice add some momentum Tama Tonga the other thing too is like uh, we've kind of complained about how long quote-unquote burning spirit tour has been going on but because the typhoon and different things a lot of the shows got canceled so there haven't been that many burning spirit shows realistically and um so I don't know what we're complaining about to begin with. <laughs> but um, I kind of forgot which foreigners were and weren't even on the, the tour. That's why I didn't want to even commit to – I knew Jay wasn't on the tour, but I couldn't even remember if Tama has been having preview tags up to no, now. Yeah, yeah he was, he's yeah. been off the tour, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So, yeah, so it makes sense why – but even here, it didn't feel like the crowd was, like, super behind him the, the way they were pre-G1. Yeah. And I don't think it's because the G1 did – did anything to hurt him i think it helped him for sure i think it's just that back before the g1 there was a progression of a story arc and you were trying there was something that the fans could get behind but anyone with any sense of realistic expectation knows he's not winning the world title this time i'm not saying it couldn't happen but they just it's he's not winning it a few months before wrestle kingdom so it's kind of hard to really get invested in that and to heat the guy up too much, but he needs it. Yeah. And you know what? Jay needs it too. Yeah. As champion. Yeah. And I think, I think, I think Tam is suffering a little bit because Jay's not excelling as champion necessarily. Yeah. He's had a lukewarm title reign so far. Yeah. And, and some of that is because the G1 was somewhat lukewarm. It's not all his fault. I think some of it ha- comes down to the way that they laid out the G1. Yeah. So now let's uh, move into the uh, last three matches here, the three big title matches of the evening. So first we had the IWGP junior heavyweight tag team title match, the champions from the United Empire, Francesco Akira and TJP. They retained and defeated six or nine Master Wato and Rizkataguchi in 12 minutes and 43 seconds. Not the greatest junior tag team title match I've ever seen, but this was a really solid like match and a really good step in the right direction for the uh, the division. I liked this a lot, and. You know, we've been talking about it, how they've been telling the story that where it feels like six or nine are not on the level of United Empire. and They're going to have to basically be flawless and work a perfect match if they were going to stand a chance to beat these guys. And they even had a little bit of a handicap in the sense that TJP was, whether it was re- imagined or real, um, they were portraying him with a, uh, you know, an injured leg as well, which worked its way into the story of the match. So there seemed to be a disadvantage for the champions and that seemed to potentially create an opening for six or nine, but ultimately the United empire junior tag team was just able to put more together and better these guys and beat them essentially pretty clean, which 
at this point kind of knock six or nine out of the title contention altogether for the time being. And to, obviously there's a junior tag team tournament coming up, but uh, for the time being, they don't seem to be the guy, the next guys on the horizon at all. Yeah. And also a uh, commentary did, did a great job also kind of painting a picture, comparing both these teams um, and very kind of similar relationships where you have the veterans, you have TJP on the empire side and then, Gucci on the six or nine side, and then kind of their younger partners with Wato and Akira, and kind of how they've had to kind of work with their partners to kind of catch them up to speed. Uh, but it definitely seems like TJP and Akira had kind of the the better maybe communication or relationship um, going into this matchup. And even though Akira and TJP have teamed less than Gucci and Wato, like you mentioned, they were able to put some stuff together and just kind of really take it to six or nine. I thought um, Akira and TJP had a lot of great uh, double team combos. Uh, both yep. guys just really lightning quick and so smooth. A lot of fun uh, dives and uh, high spots in this matchup here. And I love the sort of like doomsday corner launching uh, Frankensteiner off the top, which was incredible. Yeah, there's another spot where like, um, Akira did like a um, a coast to coast drop kick. I forgot yep. who, did, who did. I think it might did it to Wato. Um, there's another double team move they do where like TJP like launches Akira into a drop kick into a dude, and that looks pretty cool. They also had one where uh, it was similar to what the Bucks do, but they had the guy kind of set up in the other and the, the United Empire did this where he came off the top rope and did the foot stomps through the guy while he was like in the prone position. Mm-hmm. And that was a new move that they've never done before. And it looked like they might have been debuting a, a finisher, but I believe it was Watto that kicked out of that. And I was like, okay, so it's just like a a super signature move. It's not quite a finisher, but it, it looked really good and was really cool. And, you know, taking nothing away from six or nine, I thought Watto looked pretty good here. He did botch um, a little bit on one of the corner maneuvers, but for the most part, he, you know, seemed to be to be pretty fluid and looked comfortable and confident in there. And Taguchi's Taguchi still with the antics, but he turned it on when, when it was needed. And this was enjoyable up to this point of the night. This was, you know, the first, uh, what I'd call pretty good match of the show. And it was definitely the match of the night up to this point. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Um, Empire, they hit the, the leaning tower on Taguchi, which is, um, where they had Gucci up on TJP's shoulders and Akira comes off of a cutter. So that's their yeah. uh, primary tag move, the leaning tower. Hit that, they get the big win. Uh, no challengers will come out post-match, so it doesn't seem like we're going to set anything up quite yet. We do have, like you mentioned, the Super Junior Tag League, which will be um, in combination with the World Tag League Tour um, in November and December. So we might not get challengers until we get to that tournament. And, you know, that's fine. I, I'd rather them, you know, uh, kind of hold off for the tournament and instead of, like, shoehorning a, a new narrative that doesn't have – I mean, we've talked about it many times. There's very few tag teams in this division, if at all. And so maybe having this tournament is kind of like a nice, fresh restart. Even if it only establishes, say, one or two mainstay teams – at least you have enough teams to kind of get you by for the first quarter of the year, you know, until you establish a couple other <laughs> yeah. junior tag teams. So um, the other nice thing too, 
we came out of the um, best of the super juniors this past year wondering about Francesco Akira. We're like, you know, he really comes off like a baby face the way he works and his mannerisms, his attitude doesn't seem to fit in very well with the rest of United Empire. We we're wondering if that could potentially be a storyline down the road. Maybe it will be. But ever since he's started teaming with TJP, he's really developed a mean streak. They highlighted this uh, greatly on the uh, commentary team. And it, it's absolutely true. Ever since he started teaming up with TJP, you know, he's the trash talk and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the braggadocious nature and kind of the mean-spirited nature. It's all kind of coming out. So uh, he's kind of become one of the most heelish characters of United Empires. <laughs> they sort of amalgamated more to like a you know heel leaning tweener group almost essentially he's sort of like one of the him and tjp are like the nastier two members of the the whole team essentially yeah and i think they're a great team and i'm really enjoying them as junior tag champs and them teaming together and i'm looking forward to seeing what those guys can do together in a junior tag league yep looking forward to that uh next match of the night was the semi-main event and, uh, oh, keep in mind, we had video packages for these last three yes. matches. Yeah. And I thought they were really good in, in each case, especially uh, for those of you that are the video package aficionados <laughs> that were calling for that on social media. We have no fear. New, You might not get them in other companies, but New Japan, we got them on deck. Yeah. Video packages, baby. At the beginning of every single show, there is a detailed video package. It's incredible. <laughs> Yeah, it was a great VTR, yeah, highlighting uh, 609 and Empire's kind of rivalry. And also, the, those VTRs are not in, in English, but it kind of seemed like it was telling a story of, like, Akira uh, and TJP kind of getting the better of Wato Noguchi and them kind of having to uh, come together to fight back. Listen, I don't speak Japanese, but I always understand all the VTRs wholeheartedly. <laughs> I mean, I can read between the lines. I get what's going on, so... <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, the semi-main event was for the never open weight title as Carl Anderson, along with uh, accompanied by Doc Gallows, defended the never title against the ace of the universe, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and he defeated Tanahashi 13 minutes, 37 seconds. Thankfully, this was kept relatively short. Um, I, I, I was thinking this was going to be better. Uh, what was your over-under there, Jeremy? Were you like three and three quarters on this? I, I think I said, uh, three and a half. I think I'd take the under on this one. Yeah. It, it will, I, I would probably give it a, a good gentleman's three. Uh, right. I mean, they came out here. They worked the mechanics. Um, you know, they, Carl Anderson, you know, he likes to call himself, you know, bright lights, Carl Anderson and, you know, he's made the comments, oh, he only turns it up on a big stage. And, you know, the VTR highlighted 2013 when Carl Anderson challenged Tanahashi for the IWGP title where he failed to beat him, and that was a pretty good match. And that's kind of when, you know, Carl Anderson was a guy that New Japan had a lot of stock in and a guy that they seemed one of the top foreigners that they were building up at the time before he left. And when he was just a guy, period. Yeah. Uh, like an act, like a guy that actually like mattered. He was a dude. Like he was one of the guys. Yeah. Not not anymore. <laughs> yeah. So now you know now he's back and they're kind of telling a story. You know he didn't beat Tanahashi on this night. Can he beat him on this night? It's a big match. Semi main event. Never open weight title. They highlighted his big win over Tamatonga and all this stuff. But came out here and, and it was just a match. Like I don't feel like. 
Carl Anderson went over or beyond to, you know, have this kind of classic match and have this kind of struggle with Tanahashi. And, you know, Tanahashi's Tanahashi. He, he did his thing, but, again, at his age and with his injuries, he wasn't going to go out there and push the pace. Like, if Carl Anderson wasn't going to do it, like, Tanahashi was like, fine, I'll, I'll kind of wrestle to his level and, and just have this fine match. That's true. I, I think I have a little bit of a hot take when it comes to Tanahashi. Now, you know how I've been a little down on him? Mm-hmm. past year maybe a little bit past that uh but then every now and again he turns up and you have to wonder like well what is it you know some events you think he's going to turn up and he doesn't some some events you're like he's definitely going to and i'm always like i don't know and then he does i think i figured it out i think that this is what the deal is with hiroshi tanahashi and uh, go back through the singles match records and cage match and prove me wrong because I might be wrong here, but I think I'm going to be over, overwhelmingly correct. Tanahashi is able to turn it on when he is working with another great worker. Mm. And when he's working with someone that in the past he would have had to pull up to his level, I don't think he can do it anymore. Mm. So like with Carl Anderson, he couldn't do that. And like with Toa Hanare, who's very good, but clearly not ready right now to wrestle that big style main event style match just yet. Couldn't do that. You know, he couldn't do that with Okan when Okan first came in and with Kenta kind of being broken down, he couldn't like make Kenta be more of himself than he was on the evening. I think he's not able to, but when he's wrestling someone like a Shingo or Ishii Ishii or John Moxley or Will Ospreay, he can pull, they can help pull him up and he can arrive at the destination because he's been there so many times. But when he's being called upon to be the lead to pull the lesser talent or the younger talent up to his level, I don't think he can do it anymore. Yeah, that's a good point. Even you, you go back to Wrestle Kingdom, uh, we were still Jay White, and Jay was just coming off of Excursion. That match wasn't all that great either. Right, and so I think like when you couple him with a really great dance partner, he's going to be fine for now. But in this match, like Tana, Tana, and here's what made me notice it: Tanahashi was looking rough again, and I was like, "Damn, he's looking rough." And I was like, "Why didn't he look rough in the Moxie match?" Oh, he's wrestling Moxley. Why didn't he look rough in the Ishii match? Oh, he's wrestling Ishii. Why didn't he look rough in those Shingo match? Oh, yeah, yeah. What about the Okada match? Oh, okay. Now it's coming together. Like when he's wrestling someone that's at that level, he can still go with them. But uh and, and I'm and you know, it'd be one thing to think like, oh, well, he only turns up because he cares more about those guys. And I don't think that's the case. I think he cares just as much about Carl Anderson. I just don't think Carl Anderson's the same caliber. Well, clearly, if you watch the match, like he didn't I don't think he even came in very good shape. Yeah, he was not looking great, yeah. Like, I don't want to body shame the guy or anything, because trust me, it's not easy to walk around with six-pack abs all the time. I'm, I, I myself am trying to, uh, you know, <laughs> tighten things up, and it's not easy. So I, I feel where he's coming from, but at the same time, it's a cosmetic business. And this is a guy that just a year or two ago, we saw him, like... He was shredded. Shredded, yoked. Yeah. But uh, that wasn't even just a couple months ago, back in June, he looked in pretty great shape. This is like some of the worst shape I've seen. 
Carl Anderson like looking and he did not look motivated to go out there and have a classic with Tanahashi and Tanahashi was looking rough too. And uh, the match was technically fine. It just was nothing special, especially considering the lore of New Japan Carl Anderson, which I think those New Japan Carl Anderson days are kind of done. They're done. Yeah. I think they're gone. New Japan Carl Anderson is not coming through that door. Like we we, we got good. (laughs) Good brother, Carl Anderson, is what we got. <laughs> yeah, 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 he's going to brother, brother, yeah. You know? <laughs> now, I did think I liked the finish of the match. Uh, all throughout the match, we had uh, Luke Gallo's interference, which is, uh, it, it got to be a bit much at times. But, but to be fair, Tanahashi hit him first. He, he, I, he, I have no recollection of that. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was on the outside of minding his business, and then Tanahashi came, hit him with the baseball slide, and then kicked him again, and then, then he started getting involved more. Tanahashi hit his face on the ropes when he did that baseball slide a little bit, I think. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't rewind it, but that's what it looked like to me. I was a little worried. But um, anyways, Gallows, even if – you know what? That was a preemptive strike because even if Tanahashi didn't attack, he's been dealing with these bull club <laughs> bitches for, for you know almost a decade now. He knows what the score is. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But um, down the tail end of the, the match, Gallows just kept constantly trying to interfere. Yano came from the back. He got involved. And it started to look like it was going to become a fair fight. Tanahashi goes to the top. He hits a, a standing high-fly flow, what Kevin Kelly likes to call the aces high. Mm-hmm. And he gets ready to go for another one. And I don't know if you noticed, he started to like, Oh, even when he went for the ace's high, did you notice him wobbling on yeah. the top row? Oh, yeah. Cause even, even the crowd was like, oh, <gasps> like gasp when he was like wobbling. You know what that reminded me of? I was like, is this real or is this some Sabu shit? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I want to work. The, I want to work the smart fans. Yes. I want them to think that I can't stand on the top rope. Botch anymore. on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been listening to those motherfuckers on uh, Keeping a Strong Style. They think I'm done. Well, let me show them how done I am. I'm going <laughs> to stumble on the top rope. <laughs> no, but, uh, yeah, so then um, Gallows, you know, right before he hits the high fly flow, Gallows, like, distracts him. You know, he has to fight him off, him and Yano. He goes for the high fly flow, hits the knees of, you know, Anderson. Down the stretch, Anderson just keeps going for the gun stun. And uh, Tanahashi effectively counters it, you know, two or three times. But in the midst of trying to counter it, he gets his leg pulled from the outside by Gallows. And eventually, uh, oh, he almost gets hit with another gun stun, stops it, tries to turn it it into a, uh, what does he call that? The uh, twist and shout? Yeah, I always want to call it the shake, rattle, and roll. like the (laughs) Road dog? No, no, you know, road dog got that from Honky Tonk. Oh, yeah, Honky Tonk, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I thought he was going to do the honky-tonk man move, but then that got reversed into a gun stun clean. So, one, two, three, and Machine Gun Carl Anderson is your reigning, never open-weight tag, or world, I don't know, what, open-weight champion. Yeah. (laughs) Then uh, after that, we had a post-match angle, switchblade, Jay White comes down to the ring, and... Him and the Good Brothers are beating up Tanahashi. This brings out Tamatonga. Ghetto too. Oh yeah, and Ghetto. Yep. And uh, this brings out Tamatonga. He runs to the ring to uh, clear the ring out and make the save. And then you know he's finally about to get his hands on Jay White. And then his 
brother Hikaleo comes walking down the ring and Jay's laughing and telling him, you know, look who's coming down the ramp. And there's been a whole storyline like we've seen. We saw it play out here in Tampa of Hikaleo, um, where he stands with the Bull Club. Is he going to be with Jay? Is he going to join his brothers? And it seemed at first like he was going to split off, but then he eventually lost to Jay. And then this whole time he's been a part of Bull Club. There was even like kind of the face-off with like uh, Tangaloa, I think it was, in uh, D.C. And even Tangaloa kind of, you, know, you don't choose the Bull Club. And then a couple weeks on Strong, Jay White got the whole promo. I was kind of really pointing towards Hikaleo about, you know, recognizing who the leader is. And so he comes out here, and it seems like Hikaleo is going to, you know, be with Jay and attack Tama. But then, out of nowhere, Hikaleo, he grabs uh, Jay with the big uh, choke around the throat. Crowd pops for that. And uh, Hikaleo helps Tama Tonga clear house here, and Hikaleo has decided to stick with family, stick with his blood, and has reunited with his brother Tama Tonga. Yeah, uh, this was something that was desperately needed. Um, just because, like, oh, you know what's funny? Um, before I watched this show, I was a little bit spoiled because I was listening to Observer, and, like, Dave talked about this uh, this angle, and he was like, yeah, I just, I don't really get it. I mean, you know, they had the guy take the loss in the opener, and then he's doing the big turn down the stretch, and I was like, oh, shit, they, like, pinned Hikaleo in the opening match? And it's like, no. He was on the losing team. He didn't personally lose. Right. <laughs> so the way he said that, like, I, I'm like, well, then that doesn't matter. Like, what are you complaining about, Dave? <laughs> the way he made it sound was like he was the young boy and he got, you know, rolled up or something. And I was like, fuck. No, yeah. They, they've been predicting Hikaleo on this tour. He has not eaten any losses here. And majority of the tour, his team has been on the winning side of things. Yeah. But the way he said it, just like, and then when it when he didn't lose, I'm like, what? <laughs> but anyways, um, you know, Hikaleo's a guy that like when the whole thing popped off with the Bull Club and the good and uh GOD and them getting ousted and then you know the whole strong storyline with uh him and Jay White was like, well, what's this guy gonna do? And he's like, I'm staying Bull Club and I'm challenging Jay White, and then he loses Jay White, and he's like, all right, well, I'm still with y'all. This <laughs> Bro, you're a hoe. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> so, and um, at the same time, you know, like, uh, Tangaloa's been out with an injury, and it feels, it just has felt really wonky having, uh, you know, um, Piccoleo, like, remain a member of the Bullet Club, and it didn't feel like something at this point that was continuing to serve him. So him breaking off along with his brother for the time being, I think is a, a, a great move for him. And then, Post match, when um, uh, Tamatonga picked up the world title, but then he picked up the Never Belt and he like looked at it ominously, and then he like slowly turned and handed it off to Hikaleo, and I was like, oh, okay, like let's go, Hikaleo versus Carl Anderson, like run it, let's do that. <laughs> yeah, both brothers holding up the belt they're going after. So um, it seems like it hasn't been official yet, but I think it, they might add Hikaleo versus Carl Anderson for Declaration of Power. And so, yeah, that would be an interesting shot there for uh, Hikaleo. And, you know, he's a guy that, you know, he's been kind of developing over the pandemic on strong and is doing a really good job. And I think it's time for him to kind of break out, see what you got with him, and get him in some more single stuff. Listen, Itanga, if you're listening, Now's the time. 
you talked about it years ago. You had a dream. You've got <laughs> one brother going after the heavyweight title. You got a giant brother who's clearly a super heavyweight going for the open weight belt. Now's your chance, bro. If you want to do a super cut and drop a few LBs and, you know, join the ranks of the junior heavyweights and try to claim that prize so you guys can be the trifecta, I think now is the time to do it. Maybe that's what this quote-unquote injury is. He, he's yeah. he's trying to yeah. cut, cut yeah. down to the, the junior weight limit so he can come back and get, finally live his dream of, of being a junior heavyweight. Best of the Super Junior Finals next year. I'm calling it right now. Tangaloa <laughs> versus Tomohiro Ishii in the finals. <laughs> that match a fucking rule. Oh, my gosh. That'd be, <laughs> that would be hilarious. <laughs> but, yeah, no, this is really uh, – I like the post-match angle quite a bit. And um, Yeah, you know, I love how the crowd popped for that with yeah. turning. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That brings us now to the main event of the evening for the IWGP United States Heavyweight title. The champion, the Commonwealth Kingpin, leader of the United Empire, Will Ospreay. He defeated David Finley 28 minutes and 22 seconds. And boy, oh boy, what a match this was. This match was... Fucking incredible. Incredible. This match was as good as everyone pretended that their G1 match actually, you know, was. Yes. However, people were calling that match a classic. No, this was a classic. That was just some okay G1 match. This was a real classic. Like, I'm talking like. This might have changed my entire opinion on David Finley as a performer type. This is when me and Jeremy were like, this guy needs to step up. This G1 is his opportunity to make the most of it. He needs to go out there and show the world who he is. Put his name on it. Tell them they need to put some respect on his name. And we didn't feel like he was doing that. And people were like, he had such a great G1. I'm like, fuck that. He didn't have a breakout performance. This was a breakout performance. This was something that you're like, holy shit, I need to, like, stand up and take, like, notice because this is a guy that's a force to be reckoned with. And Will is just, again, putting another another month comes, another match of the month goes. You know, another year comes, another most outstanding wrestling performer of the year goes. Like, this guy is just racking up classic performance after classic performance. Um, in a lot of ways, this match kind of reminded me of Jay White versus Juice Robinson from the Cow Palace. Mm. In another way, this kind of reminded me of like prime Kenny Omega 2017-2018 style matches. This just felt totally different from anything that I feel like I've seen in New Japan in like two or three years. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you this was the match of the year necessarily. Although if you say it is, I wouldn't argue that. It's, much it's a with it's you. a contender. It's a real bro. Here's here's how good I think this match is. It's got nine point one four on cage match. I think it's criminally underrated. Mm. It's the tenth best rated match of the year in New Japan. I think that's criminally underrated. I think this couldn't be anywhere less than the top five matches of New Japan, depending on your taste, because this felt like something different. 
this felt like when we talk about the quote unquote peak of New Japan, I think sometimes when we say that, people are like, oh, you're, you know, you guys are like Bullet Club, you know, Homers or, you know, Kenny Omega stands. It's like, no, go back and watch matches from that period. And there was a crispness of violence, a, a high energy pace that like was really hard to like keep up and match that you just don't see that often in New Japan. The closest thing we get, I think, most often is like high-end Shingo or high-end Osprey matches. But even, you know, even those guys, I think, slow it down at times. This was something where it was right out of 2017, like right out of the playbook from 2017. From the get-go, the pace of this match was insane. The energy of this match was insane. The violence was off the charts. These guys were walloping each other and i loved everything that they did the layout like this was a master class for you know i don't want to put all the credit on will but in a sense will kind of made a star out of dave finley but at the same time i didn't feel like it was a carry job i felt like dave we've watched dave finley for years and years and years and years and there have been times where i've been like he's had great matches against osprey in the past and really great matches against Jay White and, you know, had great tag team matches with Juice for years. And there's been times where he's been out and he's come back and he's made a splash. We've been impressed with an aspect, you know, like an aspect that like he, it, it, it'd always be like this. He had a really great match, but his look, but his charisma, but his facials, or like one time he came back, it's like, he looks great. He's in great shape, but like the fire's lacking. And, you know, there's just always something that wasn't connecting. That wasn't here. His gear was on point. His energy was on point. The violence, the violence was on point. The desperation, like the attitude, this felt like a guy that I could really actually see being a primetime Gaijin player in New Japan. I can't remember the last time I've seen a Gaijin um, come in where I felt this way. Even like, for instance, like Jonah is clearly on a great run, but I didn't feel this way from any of Jonah's even big matches, like with Okada, where I was like, okay, this is a guy where I can really get behind and see him being a main event player. If, if, if hypothetically, and it's a big, if, but if David Finley can keep this up, we're talking about a new star in new Japan. Yeah. They got to capitalize on this. Cause this was like you mentioned, just a star making performance for Dave Finley just like the fire and energy that he brought to this matchup was great. And then, like you mentioned, the, the match layout from beginning to end, like the match starts and they go at it right from the bell. They're, they're throwing strikes back and forth, kind of this fast paced, high sequence. Uh, and then you kind of slow it down. They, they introduce the tables and they're going back and forth. And, you know, like you mentioned, the desperation, there's a spot there where um, Finley, he uses the shillelagh to smash Osprey's hand and Osprey is selling the hand like it's broken, and Finley is just stomping on it. He's doing arm bars. He's attacking the arm, and just really, it almost kind of feels like a double turn for a little bit because Osprey was in such you know desperation and in peril as, and Finley was bringing the heat and staying on him, working on that arm. Uh, mm-hmm. Man, he was just taking it to Osprey there, um, doing the, the blue thunder bomb, and it's really taking over the control there. But then Osprey came back. It's the uh, that big skies twister. Uh, to the outside, and then 
uh, Finley eventually he goes for um, the, the sliced bread through the table on the outside. Osprey didn't go through. And he eventually power bombed him uh, through the table. Um, so many good stuff there, and um, again, kind of working on each other. I think Osprey is kind of working over the, the midsection of uh, Finley uh, for most of the matchup here, and the reversals. There were so many great reversals from the Hidden Blade, from the the Trash Panda. Uh, these guys, there's a, a Hurricane Rana spot where Finley did like a, a snap Hurricane Rana for a near fall. That was well. What it was was it looked like. They, they were coming out of like a rolling sequence and it looked like um, Will Ospreay was going to hit him with that high angle Liger bomb. Mm-hmm, yeah. And that got reversed into the Hurricane Rana. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, <laughs> and he kicked out. Now, I literally thought if he'd pinned him off that, I would have been fine with it. Which is crazy to say. I would have been totally, with the way this match went, I would have been perfectly content for them to strap up David Finley on that night. Yeah. Um, there's also another great near fall where Finley actually hits his finish, a trash panda, right in the middle, but then Osprey kind of rolled over to the rope and got his foot on the bottom rope in the last second there. That was a great uh, near fall there. He also hit the sliced bread number two. Yeah. And that used to be his finish, right? Yeah, I think he calls it the uh, the prima nocta. The prima nocta. Yeah, he hit that prima nocta, and I was like, like I didn't bite on it because I knew that Osprey is going to kick out, but it was so good. That was like, damn, they could have, like, he could have won right there, and I would have been fine, too. Like, there was, like, two or three times where, like, they were just firing on all cylinders where I was like, hey, if they want to, you know, quote-unquote call an audible, like the acclaimed (laughs) (laughs) versus uh, swerving our glory, you know, if they want to pull an audible, you know, we can do that. But uh, this was just fucking awesome, man. Yeah, there was uh, Osprey going for the odds cutter and Finley catching him with a stunner in the middle of the ring. That was great. Um, and then the, the closing stretch here where um, Osprey hits a, a super um, Oz cutter and then he um, hits a pedigree because he was trying to pick him up for the, the Stormbreaker, but his hand was selling the hand, hits a pedigree, hits the front hidden blade, and Finley kicks out. I was like, I, I marked out of that. I, was like, I, can't, I can't believe this man because Finley <laughs> kicked out of this. I was like, Osprey's been pinning people with the, the hitting blade. And right, he, and he hit him with two of them. Right, and he had a pedigree before that, too, and yeah. he hits him with the hidden blade. Uh, Finley kicks out, and then finally he, he pulls him up, gets him up for the Stormbreaker, one, two, three, uh, gets a win. But, man, this was a blowout match. Like It, it was almost 30 minutes, and it breezed Oh, yeah, it, it breezed by super fast pace, like great moves, great counters, great storytelling. Like, like you said, a star was made this night for Dave Finley. Match of the year contender. I'm going with the coward's rating on it. I'm going four and three quarters. I'm four and three quarters too. But like, let's keep, I'll tell you this. And maybe this is going to sound controversial to some people, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe this week as there's a hurricane, if I still have power, I'll rewatch them both. But I liked this more than the G1 final, I think. Really? Well, I mean, I already liked Tanahashi and Ishii this year more than the G1 final. You know, the G1 final, to me, the G1 final is incredible, an incredibly wrestled wrestling match and has all this history and story behind it. But, like, I don't know, man. Like, this match just fucking ruled. Like, it yeah. was great. It was really great. But even if even if you disagree, it's got to be, like, on your short list of New Japan matches for the year. It's probably in the top five 
it's up there with this. It's up there with that Tanahashi Ishii match. It's up there with a, uh, you know, Osprey and uh, Shingo. It's up there with a uh, Osprey and um, Zack Saber from the New Japan Cup. Like it, it's it's just incredible. Also, one thing I loved in the early part of the match, they're doing all this really hard brawling using the the outside, uh, you know, barricades and everything. And there's a point where Osprey picked up the timekeeper's table and just, oh yes, walloped the fuck out of like. So, so that was actually a receipt. So there was a uh, press conference the day before. That's right. And they kind of spoofed the AEW fight because Finley threw a chair at Will Osprey, kind of kind of mimicking the uh, the chair being thrown at Matt Jackson. So did uh, anybody bite anybody? I, I don't know. Maybe maybe uh. Ocon, he he got those fangs, you know. Maybe he bo- he bit somebody, uh. But then, um, so here, this was a receipt. Osprey threw the table, um, at Finley. He threw that shit so hard, like yes. And we already know this is this is a Japanese table. This isn't the you know your normal you know American easy break table. This is the- but but here's the thing that was so great about that. You know, they did the classic Kenny Omega set up the table forget about it, come back to it at the tail end stretch of the match. Mm-hmm, yeah. But in in a lot of Kenny's matches, he would pull it out and set it up, and it would be very um, purposeful. And a lot of WWE guys do this too in TLC matches stuff, but they did it, quote-unquote, organically because the, the table just happened to be there because he happened to use it as a weapon. It wasn't like, I'm going to set this up and use it later. Like, at a certain point, yes, they did set it up, but that's because it was already in use. Same thing with the, the other table that came into play. The only reason it came into play was because David Finley was out of it under the ring and was right. trying to find something to hold on to. Right, also trying to pull him, yeah. And Will pulled him, and he happened to drag the table because he was trying to just grab onto something. I loved those little details. Plus, bro, I'm going to tell you right now, anytime there's a, a part of a match where someone's hand gets injured and then they work over the hand. I don't know why. Like I'm not like a quote unquote body part guy. Like I don't love body part selling necessarily. Although sometimes I do when it's good, but I always love it in a, because it's so rare in a match that a hand gets injured. But like, remember like in Sasha and Bailey from uh, yeah. Brooklyn mm-hmm. and how good that was. There's also a very famous Takata match in new Japan from like 19. I think it's like 87, maybe 88. But it's a it's called like the handbrake match, and I think he actually did break his hand, but they worked it into the rest of the match. It's him and Hase. I'm pretty sure it's Hiroshi Hase. I could be wrong on that, but uh, don't quote me. But I believe it's a junior match from the '80s, and it's very famous from the era because it's the handbrake match, and they work the hand the whole match. When he, uh, I don't know if you covered it in the part you were talking about, but there was a part where they were brawling toward, near the tables. And um, unbeknownst to Osprey, Finley was grabbing the shillelagh that was, you know, stored in the corner. And while Osprey's looking away, he just fucking smacks his hand. Right. He really smacked the table, but he smacked his hand. And yeah, you did bring it up. But, like, the impact, the sound, and then the selling were so money. And then the rest of the match, the way he's selling the hand. Yeah, and then you had uh, Jeff Cobb at one point comes over and snaps like his fingers like back into place, and Gideon Gray tapes his hand up. 
Yeah, that was awesome. I love little details like that. And so I some of that stuff just really took this over the top for me. I I feel like if this crowd had been allowed to cheer, we're talking oh. about a we're talking about a five-star classic. Yeah. Um just this was just out 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 outstanding. Big big congrats to Dave Finley. He deserves this. I loved the VTR. How in the VTR they talked about how like uh, they sh- they paralleled their careers and Dave Finley was like, "I'm the same age as this dude. We're born the same year, and my first Super Juniors. This guy's winning the tournament, and I'm losing every single match in the tournament. <laughs> yeah. And then they're showcasing like the paths that their careers went. And how like Osprey's just been on top, you know, racking up all these accolades and successes in every division he's been in and then you look at uh, Dave Finley, and it's like defeat after defeat. Blade Runner. After Blade Runner. Yeah, he's just getting his ass beat. <laughs> Jay White just beating his man. <laughs> Bro, that VTR was good enough for like for me, who I don't consider myself a big David Finley fan necessarily, but it was so good. I was like, fuck yeah, let's go, Dave. Like, <laughs> you know, Juice don't want to show up. You gotta do. You gotta do this for Finn Juice. Someone's gotta carry on the legacy. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, this match was super awesome. So if you have not watched this matchup yet, you need to go out and watch it. It's incredible. Match of the year contender. And, you know, uh, voting season is right around the corner. And I have a strong feeling this will be, you know, in contendership as one of our candidates for our match of the year uh, award. So you're definitely going to want to watch this one. Then uh, after the match, we had a uh, post-match angle. You know, United Empire, they're all out there, and they're all celebrating. You know, Great O'Connor's doing his whole uh, post-match thing. And then out comes uh, Tetsuya Naito walking out and uh, speaking really good English, um, challenging uh, Will Ospreay to a match. But then out comes Zack Sabre Jr., and the crowd popped for uh, Sabre coming out, and he comes out and... Um, is saying, you know, no, 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 he he deserves a shot at the title. And he's like, you know what, how about me and you, Naito, we wrestle first, and the winner of us faces Will Ospreay. And they kind of kept, Ospreay was trying to interject, but kept cutting him off, and Naito's calling Ospreay amigo and not answering Sabre, this whole back-and-forth thing, and they're yelling at each other going up the ramp. Um, they cut their post-match promo, and we figure out that Naito and Sabre will be wrestling uh, at Royal Quest. Yeah, that whole thing was pretty funny. I liked it, and uh, I think that's a good setup, and I think that kind of gives Osprey a little bit of a break, and it gives us a a, a fitting reason to get the big rematch between uh, Naito and, and Zach, and we have a stakes behind it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm all in favor for all of it, so it's very good. Yeah. I had a couple questions here from MJ Does PR. He says, why is Naito always shoehorned into weird championship scenarios? Double gold dash, that weird thing with Ibushi to get him into the dome, and that weird tag team situation with Tekkers and Bishimon, and now this. Well, you know, sometimes um, there used to be, before AEW became the big uh, you know, threat to the pearl clutchers on the other side, <laughs> New Japan used to be that way and used to have to see all these really weird arguments pop up about why New Japan sucked from, you know, people on the on the other side of the aisle. Uh, it's strange how when another alternative that 
was bigger in the West popped up, a lot of those uh, criticisms just kind of dissipated, right? Yeah. Like, you know, New Japan's not so bad. <laughs> yeah. But one of the big arguments used to be, like, they don't have storylines. And we all know that that's not true. They just have different kind of storylines. You know, you have to pay a little bit more attention to the wrestling. And you got to listen to the promos in the backstage and yada, yada. But um, it is true in a certain sense, that they don't always have the same kind of classical Western-style storylines, um, for better or for worse. And so when someone like, say, Naito, you want to get him in the title picture, but there's not a tournament around that you want to have him win to get him into the title picture, and you don't have him in a number one contenders match, but you still want to get him in the picture, and you, know, you don't uh, have a western style storyline a feud that propels him into the picture you kind of wind up with him just showing up at the end of matches and challenging people and getting shoehorned for nonsensical reasons and that ladies and gentlemen is what we call probably bad booking honestly and (laughs) it's not because and don't get me wrong it's not because naito isn't deserving to be in these spots he definitely is it's just it kind of just becomes a lazy booking crutch and you can get away with it once or twice, but you know, I agree with MJSPR. He, he brought up quite a few times where they've sort of done this. And if I was Naito, I personally would be a little bit annoyed by it. It's like you can't find a more natural and purposeful reason for me to be involved and to get to where you're wanting me to go without me just uh kind of coming out there and compromising my character a little bit like that kind of sucks yeah essentially there's coasting on his popularity it's like that's it why is naito in this match uh because he's naito <laughs> it's like there's no like uh build or you know like you're mentioning like it's kind of just out of nowhere it's like oh we have to kind of do this convoluted yeah double gold dash or he has to beat this person first to get in here and i get they're doing the whole Naito and Saber storyline and I guess it kind of makes sense but obviously based off what happened in G1 I feel like Naito has a claim to kind of come after Osprey and continue that rivalry too well here's one thing I didn't like Naito comes out says I want a title shot okay you didn't beat this guy in the G1 but okay I guess you're the first. That's how it works in New Japan, right? The first guy to come out gets the title shot. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, by that logic, maybe he should. But then Zach comes out and it's like, Zach's like, I want the title shot. Suddenly the logic becomes, well, you don't get the shot, Zach, because you lost to Osprey. Or, you know, or it's like Naito doesn't get the shot. Because he lost to Osprey. But Zach shouldn't get the shot because Naito beat Zach. But Zach should get the shot because he beat Osprey all the way back in March during the New Japan Cup. So they created a round robin scenario, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's all well and good if that's the point. But putting Zach aside from the get go, it was Naito challenging Osprey and he never beat Osprey. So what are we even talking about eliminations and qualifiers? This guy doesn't qualify. He didn't beat anybody between he didn't beat him in the in the quarterfinals or the semifinals and he hasn't beat anybody since then. So what has he actually done to deserve the title shot to begin with? 
like just, just being Naito. <laughs> he's just being Naito. It's just a weird round robin, you know, logic that's kind of unnecessary. The reality is he's not deserving of the title shot. And if he gets the title shot, it's because he's a star. That's it. Yeah. Uh, his other question is, how hot is Zack Sabre Jr. right now? He got a big reaction. He's always been hot. <laughs> he, he got a big reaction interrupting Naito. He's speaking more and more Japanese in his promos. His character work is dialed in. I think he's about due for that singles title. He's been due for that singles title for years and years and years. But, yeah, I agree. I think he's, uh, you know, the, the more he uh, ingratiates himself to, you know, the Japanese-speaking public, the better it's going to be for him long term, you know. Yeah. Um, regardless of putting the title aside, although I think that might be, you know, down the pipeline for him. You want to work for this company for a long time. You want to be involved in the culture. Blah blah blah. Like he's doing it the right way. You know, the guy lives there. He's speaking the language. Like he has integrated. Yeah. Well, that wraps up our review for Burning Spirit in Kobe and the, the Burning Spirit Tour. Nice. So uh, what's coming up next? We have Royal Quest 2. And, uh, you know, we're just about a week out and we've been waiting on these cards. We finally got the Royal Quest 2 cards uh, the following day after uh, New Japan Burning Spirit in Kobe. And we got some news. Um Fight TV has confirmed that uh, to John Pollock of Post Wrestling that it won't be airing this weekend's New Japan Royal Quest events live. Uh, the shows are also, are they're not airing live on New Japan World either. So instead of being available to watch on New Japan World on demand, it will be available in early October. Uh, I, I actually think that this was something we knew. Yeah, I think if you... Um, if you before look- John Pollock even confirmed it. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this on the show. I mean, if you look on the New Japan World schedule, it says VOD only. Um, they typically put if it is going to be on Fight TV on there, and so we kind of already speculated that it wasn't probably going to air on Fight TV and be VOD. The, the question is, we don't know how much of a delay it's actually going to be, though, because we've seen sometimes where VOD shows are up the next day, and then there are times like the the Blue Justice thing where it's not up for weeks. And so I don't know what the situation is going to be like for this weekend's uh, Royal Quest shows. Right. Well, I'll run through the shows real quick, and then I guess we can give a few uh, general thoughts. So on night one, we see Dan Maloney versus uh, returning Gabriel uh, Kidd. Uh, second match of the night, Jazzy Gabbert and Kanjai Kanji. Kanjai, I don't know. Uh, they'll be taking on Alex Windsor and Ava White. Third match of the night, Michael Oku and Ricky Knight Jr. take on the United Empire team of Gideon Gray and Great Okan. Fourth match, we have the Suzuki Goon team of Doki, El or El Desperado, and Zack Sabre Jr. taking on the LIJ team of Hiromu, Sonata, and Naito. Fifth match of the night, Chaos team of Okada and Ishii versus the Team DK tree, uh, duo of Tito and Jonah. Sixth match of the night, Bullet Club, Doc Gallows, Ghetto, Jay White, Carl Anderson take on G.O.D., that's Hikaleo Jado and Tamatonga, along with Hiroshi Tanahashi. Semi-main event, the IWGP tag team titles are defended as FTR defend against Aussie Open. And then your main event of the evening is Will Ospreay versus Shota Umino. Night two, we have Michael Oku and Robbie X opening against the Suzuki Goon team of Doki and El Desperado. Second match of the night, the Young Guns, that's the team of Ethan Allen and Luke Jacobs. 
They take on the LIJ team of Hiromu, Takahashi, and Sonata. Third match of the night, IWGP Women's Title Tournament. Qualif- or, uh, yeah, t- uh, Women's Title Tournament match as Jazzy Gabbert takes on Ava White. Fourth match of the night, FTR will team with Gabriel Kidd and Ricky Knight Jr. and Shota Umino to take on the United Empire team of Gideon Gray, Okan, Fletcher, Davis, and Will Ospreay. Fifth match of the night, we have singles action as Tomohiro Ishii takes on Jonah. Sixth match of the night, uh, Kazushiko Okada will face off against Bad Dutito in singles action. Semi-main event, we have the Bull Club team of Doc Gallows, Jay White, and Carl Anderson take on the Gorillas of Destiny, Hikaleo and Tamatanga, along with Hiroshi Tanahashi. And then your main event is Tetsuya Naito versus Zack Sabre Jr. And the believed assumption is the winner of that match will go on to face Will Ospreay for the U.S. title. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, those are the cards for uh, both nights of Quest and some uh, big singles matches on these cards. Yeah. Uh, I mean, um, some of the kind of interesting tidbits, uh, Gabriel Kidd's return to New Japan. Um you know, we haven't seen him in action for a while. Obviously, there was some, um, you know, uh, personal and mental health sort of uh, issues that he was addressing that kind of kept him on the sideline for a bit. Um, you know, the UK is his home, even though he had trained extensively in the LA Dojo and the Noge Dojo previously, especially throughout the the pandemic era. So I am wondering if this is... Um, you know, there's been no reports that he's been let go or he's no longer with the company or anything like that. So I am wondering if it's like they're in the UK, maybe he's doing better. They're going to include him on the show, but that doesn't necessarily signal a full return. Mm-hmm. Or if this is the beginning of him, you know, coming back to work with New Japan in Japan uh, proper, because there was a recent um, Instagram story that he'd put up, I believe it was Instagram, where he was in Japan. Not too long ago, anyways. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe everything's kind of, he's doing better, and he's in a good place right now, and this is kind of the, the restart for him. Yeah. Another thing, too, there's a lot of, uh, you know, Rev Pro UK talent involved in this show. Dan Maloney, Michael Oku, uh, the Rev Pro British uh, champion, Ricky Knight Jr., uh, Luke Jacobs, Ethan Allen, just kind of like Robbie X. So, you know, quite a few, plus some of the, the women that are involved too, Jazzy Gabber, Alex Windsor, Ava White. So, you know, there's going to be heavy participation from uh, RevPro as well, which uh, I've seen some um, criticisms of this. Uh, you know, I'm personally, I think it's a good thing. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's all good to kind of mix in the, the RevPro. I mean, it just kind of reminds you when the, um, New Japan would send guys over to RevPro for some big matches and you had like Keith Lee and Ishii and, um, Suzuki on those shows, and so I, I, I like the relationship between Rev Pro and New Japan. I think it's kind of good to see their guys uh, mixed in here on the show. Also, you also have, we talked about earlier. You have the FTR match defending against Aussie Open. Uh, Will Ospreay and Shota Umino big main event as of right now. This is a, a non-title match, and not the first time Osprey and Umino have faced off. And you know, Umino's been doing his excursion. In Rev Pro in the UK, becoming um, a big star in that um, part of the world and getting over there. And so it's a big matchup for him, big rematch, and I think a big stage for him to kind of show the world kind of what he's been doing. Hypothetically, you know, dome season, we're not that far away. Big match against Will Ospreay on a main 
you know, New Japan card, could this be the end, hypothetically, of Shota Umino in Rev Pro and signal his return to New Japan, you know? Because um, we are getting a uh, New Year's Dash this year, so I could see that being a real likely possibility. Yeah. Uh, then that second night has some really uh, strong singles matches. Ishii versus Jonah. That's going to be a great Okada versus Bat. And they, they wrestled not too long ago earlier this year in Impact already. Yeah, they a did. high-profile Impact match, so it's kind of a, uh, a rematch here. Yeah, big rematch. Uh, Okada versus Bad Dude Tito. Bad Dude Tito getting some great opportunities. Bad Dude Tito is going to shock the world, my guy. Uh, dude, I'm telling you. This man is killing it, man. Now he's got a shot <laughs> here against Okada. Um, and then the, like we mentioned the main event there, Naito Saber winners going to potentially face Will Ospreay down the line. So overall, some strong matches across the card. Uh, we had a question here from the Broken Poet. Says, As a person who's going to the Royal Quest shows, I am disappointed in the amount of Rev Pro talent on the show. Do you think this is because of them lending the equipment of Rev Pro? Do you think they could have had a one banger show and are relying on the name of NJPW too much to sell tickets without any actual cards being released, especially for international shows in the States and here in the UK? Cheers. Well, uh, I got to tell you, I think it would be a slap in the face and very disrespectful for them to come to the UK, run a big show and exclude their exclusive you know, European slash UK partner, which is RevPro. So they've been working together for a numerous amount of years at this point. And, you know, sometimes that relationship's been stronger than others, but right now it seems to be a strong period. There's a lot of young talent involved in RevPro that, you know, really drudged through the pandemic era that have had no exposure to New Japan. They haven't worked with this talent. They haven't been on this kind of stage and there's a lot of Perezu and New Japan fans that don't know uh you know a lot of these names I mean Michael Oku might be the guy and Ricky Knight Jr. might be the two guys that have had the most exposure just from the network but by and large most of these guys haven't worked that much with New Japan at all so it's a great opportunity if you're a, a you know a UK wrestling fan this is a great opportunity for a lot of those guys and girls to get the rub and to get the experience and, and to get the reps in. And um, I think it does a lot of service to RepPro to include them in this. It would be super weird if New Japan showed up and didn't include uh, UK talent. I do understand that a lot of UK fans are attending these shows because they want to get the authentic New Japan experience. But the reality is, it's a it's a new japan show in the uk and they're going to work with their uk partners it's just something you kind of have to accept in the same way that when they came to when whenever new japan came to the us and they worked a, a big you know us show they always had ring of honor talent involved whether we wanted it or not you know yeah it was just it's just part of the territory they're not going to not include their you know partner in that country yeah, so I, I just pulled up the, the 2019 Royal Quest card. I'm just going to read it off real quick, and I want your opinions if you think this one-day card is better or this uh, two-night weekend show is better. So in 2019, they had um, Rapungi 3K, Rocky, Sho and Yo against Taguchi, Shoto Umino, and Ren Narita. 
You had Kota Ibushi and Juice Robinson against Yujiro Takahashi and Hikaleo. You had Will Ospreay and Robbie Eagles against Taiji Ishimori and ELP. You had Naito and Sonata against Jay White and Chase. You had Tamatonga Tangaloa defending the IWGB Tag Titles against Aussie Open. Kenta def- uh, facing Ishii for the Never Title. Tanahashi and Saber for the Rev Pro Title. And then the main event was Okada and Suzuki for the IWGP Heavyweight Title. Yeah, as you continue to read along, I think that one day card does sound better. Mm-hmm. Personally, I mean, um, that Birds of Prey versus Bullet Club tag team match that was really incredible. Uh, keep in mind, Kenta w- was fresh off the heels of his Bullet Club turn, and him and Ishii they had a match that was so you know so crazy that I think uh, Kenta got knocked out. Kenta got knocked out. Um, and then, you know, you got a giant IWGP title match between Suzuki, who's a big draw in, uh, the, the UK. And then obviously Okada's Okada. So top to bottom. Yeah. I do think that that's a better card, but that was 2019. That was pre pandemic. You know, that was before speaking out. <laughs> that was before Brit Rez fell apart. That was mm-hmm. before a lot of things that have happened over this course of time. There's a reason why, like. At that time, they were in the copper box. I think the copper box is a lot bigger building, or even if it's comparable, they're going to draw. They drew a much bigger crowd to that one day show than they will at the Crystal Palace, you know, auditorium for these two night shows. Uh, their business just isn't the same in general in the UK as it was several years ago. Yeah, it's not the so, same pretty much anywhere in Japan, US, or UK. They're still. Are recovering and trying to reestablish themselves in, in, in all markets, especially the foreign markets in the U.S. and the U.K. And like you mentioned, it's the same thing we're seeing for the New York pay-per-view. They're, they're running these smaller venues because they're not as hot as they were, and that's what they have to do. And here in the U.K., again, they're running smaller shows. So, yeah, they're not going to throw an IWGP title match on here because it's a smaller venue, a smaller show. Yeah. Had, had they been running the cover box or somewhere bigger, you probably they probably would have just did it a one day super card kind of show, but a they need the revenue, so they're going to do two nights and they're smaller venues. So I mean, you still got some big singles matches on both nights, but yeah, you you don't have a lot of title matches um, like you did in 2019. These are still very good shows. You're still getting title challenges and some major singles matches. Um, I mean, if I was there, I would definitely attend these shows. Right. I mean, uh, you're getting an Okada singles match. You're, you're getting an Ishii single match. You're getting Naito versus Saber. Uh, Osprey and Umino. Yeah, you're getting um, FTR title offense against Aussie Open. Like, Which I, I think that's extremely rare, first off, because I don't think they've... Uh, you know, AEW's never gone to <laughs> to uh, the UK, and then they've never defended the IWGP Tag Team Titles. Period. So this is a pretty rare occurrence. In right. You got you got the start of the the women's tournament for the IWGP Women's Title. There's a lot of cool stuff. That's it's happened. these are good shows. Yeah. To me, like, yeah, they are. Uh, how do I put it? In a sense, it's like, okay, are they? Um, I don't know the best way to say it. I don't know if I fully agree with that logic. It's like, well, they're spreading themselves too thin to do two shows. The reality is, is all the same talent that's on the first night 
is almost all the same talent that's on the second night. So it's not like they're holding some back or putting some guys in previews and, and whatnot. Like, I think they're actually trying to maximize all these people that are available on the tour as much as possible. And yeah, they are trying to draw as much money as they can for two nights, but I don't think that this is, let me put it to you this way. It's like, um, in the case of like a, a regular new Japan, um, show where they split the nights, they'll put like two or three different title matches on two or three different shows. And then everything beneath it is weak and kind of, you know, not great looking. And it's like, man, you could have had one really good show by putting all the strong matches together. But you actually have almost nothing but strong matches on these shows. Um, even if there's nothing that's like tip-tier top blow away outside of like the, the main events, these are still really strong cards top to bottom. They're not giving you a bunch of junk. Yeah, it's, these are good cards. Also, um, there was also the, I mean, there was the complaint that in the past they had the IWGP title defense. They're not getting one here, which uh, you kind of already addressed, Jeremy. There was also some um, criticisms. I don't know enough about it, but there's criticisms about the way they handled the uh, meet and greet ticket packages. Because I think that you uh, initially had to pay a pretty exorbitant price to do the meet and greets. And it was a full package for like everybody. But then they were now recently with the announcement of these cards, they put out some individual uh, tickets with different times that were actually cheaper than what you paid cumulatively for the total uh, thing. So I kind of saw that complaint from some UK fans as well, which kind of feels like, yeah, that's something that they probably should have worked out and needs to be to the benefit of the consumer. You know, it, it sucks if you paid a higher price to get a package and then you can't, see all the people that you're wanting to see at the right time for the right price. Yeah, that is a kind of a bummer. And I know I've seen some complaints too of people buying their tickets before any matches were announced. And I will say that, you know, that that's buying blind. You know, we have a saying like, do they have a card? Um, we literally, anytime someone's like, yo, you trying to watch this show, whether, whether it's to attend or even just to watch it's like, they got a card. <laughs> yeah. It's like, if a show doesn't have a card, yeah, I understand buying off the reputation, and we've done that several times with shows, and sometimes it's been good, and sometimes it's burned us. But if you're buying blind to a show, like you cannot expect to be, you know, get guaranteed what you think is going to happen. Like, cards, something could change. If the card's not even there, like you don't even know exactly. They got your money, kid. They can give you whatever they want. <laughs> um. So moving on, uh, we have the updated Declaration of Power card. Uh, five matches have been announced. So in your main event, Jay White versus Tamatonga for the world title. Okada versus Jonah for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Third match of the night, non-title match as Ishimori wrestles Kushida, who, uh, you know, the storyline here is that Kushida has not done enough to be deserving of a title match against Ishimori. Uh, well, I mean, it's kind of true. <laughs> yeah, but it's kind of funny, too, because it's like, well, what more does he have to do? They've, like, wrestled, you know, had all these preview matches and yada, yada. It's like he's one of the greatest juniors of all time. But, yeah, Ishimori, Ishimori apparently has enough sway with the IWGB committee to be like, maybe not him. Yeah, and so <laughs> this is the final test. If Kushida can beat him in this non-title match. It's a title eliminator match. Ex exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
Fourth match of the night, KOPW 2022 trophy as Shingo Takagi takes on ELP in a Who's Your Daddy match. And then fifth match of the night, Ren Narita's homecoming match, which I think also might lend a little bit of uh, credence to the theory I had about Umino also possibly being on the on deck to return as well. Yeah, so yeah, big homecoming match here for Renderita being on excursion in the U.S. and with the L.A. Dojo. Uh, he did have the, the big um, match, exhibition match with Shibata at Wrestle Kingdom. Um, I'm very excited that uh, Renderita is coming back and is going to be uh, a part of the you know full-time New Japan roster and be in Japan mixing it up. The only thing is I'm not quite uh, happy about how he's being brought back. Uh, I know not every young lion that comes back gets a big video package or, you know, gets a big hype video or or a big comeback kind of thing. But, um, you know, I feel like some of the key young lions have gotten, you know, bigger, you know, promo videos or are involved in angles. And we saw great Ocon, you know, being involved in, in the G1 angle with Will Ospreay and forming United Empire. Uh, I mean, heck, even Master Watto had a uh, series of uh, vignettes in videos, uh, the the way to the Grand Master that um, built him up and debuted him. And even though his debut wasn't great, at least – it was kind of hyped up, and here we're just kind of getting uh, just just the, the regular announcement of this matchup. Yeah, I haven't given too much thought about that. I mean, I'm barely, honestly, Jeremy, there's so many different things kind of going on with New Japan currently. Not, obviously, like, there's a calendar, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like there's a crossover event, there's a New York event, there's some LA events, there's a declaration of power, there's strong, there's a lot of fucking things happening all at the same time. And I'm not quite sure when is which or what is which. It's a good thing that you like print up and tell me what's going to be on the docket each week. Because without that, if I was just a regular consumer, I'd be really confused a lot of the time (laughs) with all this stuff. So I haven't put a lot of thought into the whole situation with render readers return because i don't even know really when declaration of power is exactly happening so it's uh, uh october 10th in sumo hall this would have been king of pro wrestling no like i no, that's besides the point i get that and i know it's soon but like as a, as just a regular consumer i i kind of don't know mm-hmm. so i kind of don't know when they would like do the hype and the build and all that you know what i mean right so i don't know it, it feels like they're kind of spinning a lot of plates all at the same time. And it's hard to get me excited about like, obviously declaration of power is the only really big major show that's coming up, but it's hard for me to uh, get truly excited and invested in so many different things that are all sort of happening at the same time. Yeah. October seems to be kind of a, a weird month. Cause yeah, you, we're going to start the month with Royal quest, which is all VOD shows, but then you're going to have, Declaration of Power, then and there's the Battle Autumn Tour, and then there is the the New York two New York pay per views at the end of the month, and then also like you mentioned, New Japan Strong as well throughout the month. So, yeah, there's a lot going on. Plus, they're gonna get ready for the um, the Tamahashi stuff. Um, right. Yeah, and that's the other thing going on too. Yeah. So it's a lot. Yeah. And 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 there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just a. Uh, 
you know, with all the various different brandings and everything and it not always all flowing cohesively through New Japan Proper's kayfabe. I don't know. It's just kind of weird. Yeah. But I'm curious to kind of see what the, the presentation's going to be like, who he's going to face. Because we saw in the exhibition match, he was just kind of still a young lion, Renderita. So I'm wondering if he's going to get some new gear chain, some new music. Is he going to He's going to start at the bottom and work his way up. So if he has to start at the very, very... Uh, he's probably going to fight a... Let's start with the young lion. Yeah. Um, Yuto? Yeah, yeah, Nakashima, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's start with Yuto, and then let's let's have him run through the Lions, and then we'll work our way up to a Hanma, you know? Yeah. He's going to go on a Goldberg streak. <laughs> he's going to fight He's gonna fight Togi Makabe like 23 times to pad <laughs> his streak. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, looking forward to kind of see what they what they do with Narita. I think it's fresh Bill blood. Goldberg didn't have any... Uh, Bill Goldberg didn't have any video packages when he made his debut either. You know what I'm saying? That, that is true. <laughs> uh, so let's uh, move on to uh, New Japan Strong. We had night three of the Fighting Spirit Unleashed tour. Show opened up. We had QT Marshall defeating Kita in five minutes and 12 seconds. Um, quick little matchup here. QT getting the win with the Diamond Cutter. Uh, Post match, he's calling out Shota Umino, and Shota comes up on the big screen and says that he will face QT Marshall. Then we had uh, TMDK, Badu Tito, and Shane Hayes. They defeated the Fallen Angel, Christopher Daniels, and Yuya Yuomura. This was a really uh, fun matchup here. Um, TMDK ends up getting the win after miscommunication between Daniels and Yuomura towards the end of the match. Post-match, uh, you know, Daniels and Yamura are talking. You think that they're going to, you know, console and just kind of regroup for next time. But Daniels kicks Yamura um, in the balls, hits him with a couple of the best moonsaults ever. And looks like we're going to get a little program with uh, CD and Yamura. Then we had uh, Red Narita. He defeated uh, Jacob Austin Young. Jacob Austin Young was a talent discovered at one of the last LA Dojo tryouts. Uh, so that's where he comes from. And this was a really fun match under five minutes, but it was really fun. And Arita was kicking the crap out of this guy. It looked really good. Uh, commentary putting over big that, you know, Narita has been in several strong main events. He's had strong title matches, kind of putting over all the people he's beaten. He's beaten Fred Rosser in the past and, you know, really hyping him up. So it kind of seems like they knew, know he's c- coming back to the, the main roster of New Japan and so they put him over big time here. And then the main event, Bone Soldier, Taiji Ishimori, non-title match. He defeats Allen Angels, formerly of the Dark Order, nine minutes and 14 seconds. This, uh, another really fun matchup here, um, like three and three quarters. Um, Allen Angels came out here to kind of prove that he he's great and shouldn't have been let go and uh, he should have become an impact in the junior division in New Japan. And this was a, a high-paced uh, matchup here with Ishimori. A lot of great counters. Uh, but Ishimori does end up getting the win here. And post-match, it seems like Ishimori was uh, issuing a challenge to Leo Rush. So I'm wondering if we're finally going to get the, maybe the Japan domestic debut of Leo Rush. Yeah. Uh, that would At this point in 2022, it seems weird. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe. I don't know. Um 
Yeah, Alan Angels looked really good here. And I mean, he's been putting in a lot of work since he left AEW. Go look at his cage match profile and you'll see what I mean. Like this guy is popping up all over the indies. Uh, you also forgot to mention in between matches, there was a uh, there was a, a promo from TJP who, uh, you know, kind of continued the to forward the storyline between him and Fred Rosser. And he discussed how, you know, strong is kind of an offshoot of the LA dojo and all of the work that he put in to new Japan at the turn of the millennium. So, you know, if, if this whole entire brand couldn't exist without him, he should probably be the champion of it. So, um, yeah, that's actually a match I'm looking forward to seeing here shortly. And uh, all in all, I thought the show was very good. I thought every match was good. There was several angles and storylines and, you know, stuff with uh, QT and and everything like that. And then the post-match with Yumura and Christopher Daniels, that whole turn, which it's kind of funny because it's like, uh, I don't know, like Daniels was a face and now he's a heel. And is this going to carry over to AEW? I have no idea but whatever. I mean, he's like um, never on TV for AW. Yeah, he hasn't been on TV in it seems like years. So, but anyways, regardless, uh this was and then the production was up as well over the last tour. So, all in all, I thought this was a very good episode. Then uh next Saturday, October 1st, we'll have the conclusion of the Fighting Spirit Unleashed tour. We'll have Kevin Knight in the DKC facing the Stray Dog Armies, Bateman and Barrett Brown. Aaron Solo of the Factory will be taking on Chi Cabrera and then Che Cabrera. And then the uh, main event will be for the NJPW Strong Openweight Championship. The champion Fred Rosser will defend against TJP. TJP has the opportunity to become a uh, double champion here. And it will be interesting to see if they run the controversial angle post match that uh, occurred for the live audience. Yeah. Well, let's jump into some news. Um, this coming Wednesday on AEW Dynamite, we have a uh, AEW World Title Eliminator match as Rock Hard Juice <laughs> Robinson faces one John Moxley, and these guys have a lot of history with one another in New Japan. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, Mox that was his kind of first big feud, his first match um, in New Japan, coming in to face uh, Juice Robinson for the. Um, Coming into G1 and before that was before that, right? Uh, Super Juniors, no, Dominion, right? Or Super Junior Finals? It's Super Junior Finals. Right, he faced Umino at uh, Dominion. So, yeah, first uh, match in New Japan, and these guys had histories, matches in G1, matches at Wrestle Kingdom. And we've talked about it several times on this show. We feel like Mox is a guy that kind of broke Juice. Uh, Juice was on, on uh, momentum going on the way up the card in New Japan, and then he faced Mox, and it's just never been the same since then. Yep, that's true. Um, next bit of news, Kijimuto and Hiroshi Tanahashi will compete with each other one final time at Noah's Pro Wrestling Love Forever 3. The event is set for Sunday, October 30th at Tokyo's Ariaki Arena. Muto will team with Nomichi Marafuji and Yoshiaki Inamura against New Japan Pro Wrestling's Tanahashi, Togi Makabe, and Tomoaki Hanma as part of the Muto slash Great Muda's retirement tour. Uh, the two appeared at a Monday press conference where Tanahashi presented Muto with 38 roses in recognition of Muto's 38 years in wrestling in a show of respect. 
Uh, Pro Wrestling Noah announced Saturday morning that Sting will be teaming with Muta at Muta Final Bye Bye, the event that will feature Kiji Muto's final match under the Great Muta persona. We're pleased to announce that the participation of AEW superstar and international pro wrestling legend Sting at the Great Muta Final Bye Bye event, which will be held Sunday, January 22nd, 2023 in Yokohama. Noah's announcement read, it was the Great Muta who came to the unexpected rescue of Sting on AEW Rampage Grand Slam this week. This incident triggered him to partner with Sting at the Yokohama Arena event. And uh, if you know your history, these two guys have warred against one another, teamed with one another, um, and that, you know, um, spanned from, you know, Jim Crockett to WCW to New Japan all over the world, you know, in the U.S. and Japan. Yeah, so Muto also getting some big stuff here for his retirement tour. There should be a lot of fun, that six-man with Tanahashi, then he had teaming up here with Sting. Should be a lot of fun. Tourist travel to Japan will open up on October uh, or 10 slash 11. What is that? Yeah, October 11th. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, what? October 2011? <laughs> um, wait, what is 10-11 mean? October 11th. Okay. This, yeah. The way I'm reading it is just <laughs> bothering me. I don't know. It's freaking weird. Okay, so October 11th. Tourist travel to Japan will be opening back up. So if you're planning to potentially, like, for instance, maybe go to Japan for, you know, dome season for January 4th, uh, that now seems to be a possibility. So I've even seen a few friends of mine uh, booking tickets and everything. So, yeah, that is pretty cool. Uh, Kyrie, um, formerly known as Kyrie Hojo and Kyrie Sane in WWE, uh, has been announced for New Japan's IWGP Women's Championship Tournament. Stardom revealed this on Thursday. Uh, she's going to be a semifinal participant in the tournament's international bracket and has received a first-round bye. Kyrie will face the winner of Alpha Female versus Ava White on October 23rd at on a Stardom Tag League event, with the winner advancing to the finals at NJPW X Stardom Historic Crossover on November 20th. The winner of the tournament will be crowned the first IWGP Women's Champion. So, I'm expecting them to just strap up Kyrie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, depending if, if Mayu's in the tournament, I think that's another good option. But as of right now, based on what we know, it's uh, it's all signs are pointing to Kyrie. Don't be surprised if we get a Mayu Kyrie final. Yeah. Um, Okada Osprey will be airing this Thursday on Axis. That was the uh, G1 Climax Finals this past year. So. Uh, if you haven't seen that, check it out, and it's available on Access this coming Thursday. Um, also, at the CMLL anniversary show, there was a congratulatory message from Naoki Sugabayashi, the chairman of the board of New Japan, who said that the company hopes to do Fantastic Mania in 2023, COVID protocol permitting. Traditionally, that's the tour with CMLL talent working with New Japan talent for Lucha shows. Uh, there, the New Japan talent works for more of a lucha style. Hiromu Takahashi, who first became a star in CMLL, also teased the idea of LIJ going back to CMLL. So pretty cool news. Hopefully that does happen again. And last bit of news here, DDT ran Cork and Hall, only opening up half the arena to allow cheering on uh, September 18th and sold out with 715 fans for June Akiyama's 30th anniversary match. Akiyama teamed with New Japan's uh, Yoshinobu Kanemaru 
and Tetsuya Endo to beat Yuji Nagata and Kanosuke Takeshita, as well as Shunma Katsumata in 20 minutes and 34 seconds when Akiyama pinned Katsumata with the wrist clutch exploder. Nice. Uh, now we have a few questions here, and then we'll do recommended match of the week to wrap the show up. Uh, first from ESJ. Who got the best theme in New Japan? Tetsuya Naito, hands down. Yeah, the LIJ team, the Naito team. It's great. Uh, Less Commission 7252, who do you guys think could be the next Tiger Mask? That's a weird question we get from time to time. You know, um, the funny thing is we always... I one thing I see people ask a lot in especially in the Reddit, uh, sometimes on Twitter too, is like, who could be Tiger Mask Five? And I always like I at this point I stop responding to them, but it's like there's already been a Tiger Mask Five, like an official Tiger Mask Five. So whoever's the next Tiger Mask would literally have to be Tiger Mask Six, mm-hmm. but a lot of people are not aware of that. Um, but I'm I'm almost wondering if there's never another Tiger Mask. Yeah, I mean, I don't know who like owns the rights to it all. Right. I, I mean, at this point, I don't think really think you need to create another Tiger Mask, like make something new, do something different. Um, but I mean, I guess you could always put a, a young line or some high flyer that you want to bring in. But I think at this point, I would just kind of end it with, with Tiger Mask Four. I would do Watto. I mean, you could get send him away, and then bring him back, just like they did Ibushi that one time. <laughs> I mean, you could do that. I mean, the Master Watto gimmick is also, I don't think he's going to get, you know, past where he's at with that gimmick. I don't see him being junior champion as Master Watto. So maybe that you could do that. I, well, I could because it's the junior title and pretty much everybody gets to run with that shit. But, you know, it, it's one of those things where it's like you take a young guy, you put him in the Tiger Mask gimmick. Maybe he runs with it. Maybe he flounders. It's a gamble. You don't know. But the nice thing with Watto, he's already floundered. So, <laughs> so now you're just, un, you're like, all right, we already saw what we got that way. Let's try it the other way. Let's, let's saddle him with the gimmick and see how he does. And I think, I think that might be better for him. Who knows? Yeah. He also asked what forgettable moment in new Japan comes to you guys minds this year. Sadly for me, it's Sonata winning his first singles title against Tanahashi the rain was so quick with no defense that it became a blur and has already been forgotten. Oh man, that's true. Um, I think he mean he meant what unforgettable moment, or does he mean was there something that was cool that happened this year that's been forgotten? Yeah. He said, what forgettable moment? Yeah, I think what is something that should have been a big deal that pro that probably has gotten forgotten, like Sonata winning his first singles title. First thing that comes to mind for me is how amazing Tanahashi and Tomohiro Ishii at Dantaku was. And I feel like nobody talks about that match. And no one seems to remember that we saw a match for the ages this year. Yeah. Uh, for me, I think about Shingo main eventing night one of Wrestle Kingdom against <laughs> Okada. That's a better answer, actually. Yeah, like that was also a big moment for Shingo. It was a great matchup. And I feel like... Nobody, not even the PWI, has remembered what Shingo Takagi has done. They didn't even remember he was champion. Yeah. <laughs> didn't they put Jonathan Gresham above him? Yeah, Shingo's not even, I don't think Shingo was in the top ten. Bro, fuck them, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my man. God. 
And uh, let's commission the last question. He says, for each Bullet Club leader, Prince Devitt, AJ Styles, Kenny Omega, and Jay White, how do the Bullet Club benefit from their leadership? The only thing I can come up with is merch sales and Tamatonga becoming a major vendor once he left Bullet Club. Um, well, I mean, sure, but I mean, you could pretty much say that. I don't know. That's a weird, no offense, but it is kind of a weird question because it's like there's a kayfabe aspect to it and then there's, you know, a performance aspect and then there's like the business aspect, you know, these are all different things, you know, Um, like for instance, Tamatonga becoming a main eventer, that's quasi business, quasi kayfabe. Um, But then the merch sales, that's, that's just business side of things, you know, that has nothing to do with anything else as far as like the actual optics of, of the group or their profile or, you know, the storylines or their performance, you know, any of that stuff. I honestly, I think all four leaders have been great. Yeah. In different ways. Yeah. And I think each one of them kind of had their, even they were all great. I think they all had their own kind of role and way they carried a bullet club. Obviously with debit being the first leader and kind of rising bullet club up and then kind of handing things over to AJ styles and AJ was coming off that hot run in TNA and impact. And he had some great matches with Okada and just kind of, carried the momentum of bull club with his reputation then you hand things over to kenny omega again who was killing it in the junior division and moved up the heavyweight and was killing it there and again with his momentum in the great matches he was having in the legendary matches he was having with okada like that bull club that rub kind of rubbed off on bull club as well and then you switch over to to jay white and that really helped elevate him into that main event picture and um get him to the spot where he is now to be IWGP champion. The other thing too is like, let's not beat around the bush. What's typically, and I'm not saying exclusively, like there could be ancillary, um, you know, benefits, but the primary reason that a stable or a faction exists is to get over the leader, right. not for the leader to get everybody else over. It's it, it's it's a platform for the guy to become a star. So, did Prince Devitt become a star when they founded the Bullet Club? Did he jump from being like just a a good junior to being seen as a credible heavyweight contender? Yes. AJ Styles. Now, here's the one thing I, I will disagree with you, Jeremy. He he was not coming off of a hot TNA run. He had hot years in TNA, and he was coming off of a lackluster. And you know, unceremonious ousting from um, Impact. Yeah, well, that's what I meant. Was just kind of like his reputation of great matches, even of though he, he was in horrible storylines and it didn't lead the best way. He was still having the best matches in that company. Right, and AJ Styles came in and the bull and strapping the Bull Club to him and and putting him in there with high profile matches with Tanahashi and Okada made him such a big star that that he was able to literally go from WWE saying, we have nothing for you, no interest. It's like, you can skip NXT, come to the main roster. Let's bring you out in the Royal Rumble. Yeah. (laughs) And then Kenny Omega went from being like a goofy comedy junior to one of the biggest draws in the world internationally and helped found, you know, uh, a whole nother company. Devitt's in AEW, AJ or WWE, AJ Styles went to WWE. 
Kenny Omega went to AEW. All three of them did huge business when they were champ when they were uh, you know top guys. AJ Styles and Kenny Omega both became world champions, and Jay White went from being like a you know a green boy to the top heel in the company and probably one of the top heels in the entire industry, and you know like a a, a main event player, world champion. It's not so much about them doing for the group it's about the group doing for them right just like chaos is there for okada to be top guy just like united empire was created for will osprey to be top guy now as far as under their leadership has there been other people that had success yes look at the good brothers look at tamatanga look at um young the, bucks. the young bucks look at elp Look at Kenta. There's numerous people that have utilized. Look at Cody Rhodes. There's so many. Hangman Adam Page. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, we could just go on and on. There's a lot of people that have made their career by putting on a black and white shirt that says Bullet Club on it. You know, mm-hmm. whether it was for the strengthening of New Japan or for them to fulfill their own ulterior, you know, business objectives, which that's a whole different discussion. That's outside <laughs> of kayfabe. But, you know, it is what it is. But that's the deal. Um, so, yeah, like as far as under their leadership, have they done a lot? Yeah, because all four of those dudes went out there and put on fucking bangers and made lots of money. And, you know, th- there is a reason that the Bull Club name has persisted. As much as I think it's run its course... It exists because top guys have been on top of it and they still do strong merch. Yeah, the, the merch sales are incredible and it's still a vehicle to, to get people over. Like it's it's gotten Jay White over. They're using it to, you know, give Juice Robinson to make over. Yeah, ELP is being elevated right now. So it, it's still uh creating new guys and elevating guys. Also it's not what it was um in its heyday, uh, but they're still generating money and creating stars from it. Yep. Uh, next question from Azurio says, uh, how long does Jay White hold on to the strap? You got to ask Gato. Because <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. Well, he's definitely, I mean, if, if it was me, he's either going to lose in November, like at the crossover event, or he's going to lose at the Dome. So, you know, yeah, I, sometime I, soon. I, I see him going into Tokyo Dome with the belt. That's likely at, at this point, especially now that Naito's channel in the, yep. the U.S. picture. Yep. Now that Naito's in the U.S. picture, it makes it l- a lot less likely that anybody unseats him for the title between now and January. Yeah. I also asked, does Osprey versus Omega happen at the Dome with or without the U.S. strap? We don't know because we don't know what the fuck is going on with Kenny Omega and AEW at all. So right. hard to say. As of this recording, Omega is still uh, suspended. Um and we know that Tony Khan has to approve all outside bookings. And we've noticed that, you know, for AAA wanted to bring him in for Triple Mania because he was suspended, he couldn't do that. So I would assume if he is still suspended come Tokyo Dome season, he would not be allowed to work that show. So I guess we'll have to wait and see uh, what happens there. But if it does happen, I could see it being for the U.S. title and really elevating it to a high stage similar to um, Alpha versus Omega when uh, Kenny defended that U.S. title against Jericho. Then uh, next set of questions here from Barry Walsh. 
After really enjoying the match with Despy and June Kasai and feeling almost emotional after it, it got me thinking as to how I felt like that after Doki and Taichi at the previous Taka Taichi event and got it and got led me to this. Should New Japan let Taka take over booking the juniors or at the very least add him to the booking committee? Those two matches had so much emotion that he might be able to make it interesting. If he manages to get the Hoyo to emote, he's a wizard through and should be made head booker. I don't know, because I don't know how much uh, of Taka Michinoku had to do with that. Also, this is a guy that, um, you know, was ousted from the company that he was running due to infidelity. Um, and that's not, I mean, that's not a good thing, obviously, but that's also not me, like, demonizing him for it. But in Japan, that's a really big deal. And he's only just now starting to become, come back into the good graces of the, the company. And it's as a pin eater. Um so I don't know how much uh, stock and trust they put into Taka. Never mind the fact that he's also running a, a whole nother wrestling company in JTO simultaneously. Right, and those these shows are Taka, Taichi, Despi, Mania. I feel like all three of those guys kind of have kind of control on, on their specific angles. So I'm sure Despi has kind of worked with Jun Kasai to make this whole kind of big deathmatch story. I'm sure with the relationship with Doki and Tai Chi, he wanted to do that for Doki and talk yeah. and talk kind of does his own thing. So also booking a produce show is not the same thing as booking a division of a company. Yeah. It's easy to do a, a one-off show versus con- consistent, you know, week to week booking. Correct. Uh, he also asks, Kenny clearly loves Japan and both of them are not on the best terms in their contracted companies. So I can see Golden Lovers wrestling being a thing, and rumor is Kenny is out of a contract in January. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to know the inner workings of AEW and Kenny Omega's contract status, so uh, I, I guess we could speculate wildly. Do I think it's possible we ever see the Golden Lovers wrestle again together? Sure. Um, but, like, I don't know. I feel like if they do, it should be on a major platform and what's the platform if not new japan or AEW? right i can't see that i have a hard time seeing them guys go anywhere else besides a big major company i don't really see well bushi could start his own thing um because he's a bushi but i think if golden lovers are doing something it's going to be on a big stage um his last question he says lastly is despy more handsome than sonata my wife tells me to stop asking me ask someone who cares so dot 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 uh, it depends. It depends. Um, possibly. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not the one to to ask about the you know the the hunk radar and who's who's hotter and who's not. So well, it's like I, I'll I'll dive in. You know, Sonata. He's got the height on him. You know, height. That's women like height. It's a thing. Also, the physique that goes to Sonata. He's the physical specimen. It's not not taking anything away from Despy, but he's. You know, he's got a little bit of a, of a gut here and there. and You never almost see that on Sonata. But then Sonata's got that fucking facial hair. In it. <laughs> it just ruins the aesthetic. And then on the on the opposite end, Despy has that uh, that mystery going for him. Right. Like, I don't think we've cl- ever clearly seen Despy's face. Like he's I've got- seen it. I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> he always has a face pain. He has the, the eye contacts and, like, you, know, you don't get the full look 
Yeah, but you get enough of a look to be like, damn, it's a handsome dude. <laughs> and, and with with Sonata, it's like, damn, he's handsome. Except that beard. When he was wearing that beard, it's like he's not. He's not. Like so yeah. it's a tough call. I think right now Despy's got the edge on him. But uh we'd have to have him walk down the walkway, I think. Yeah. I don't know. Last question here. I think we've actually gotten maybe do a playgirl photo shoot like uh Shawn Michaels. Like Shawn Michaels <laughs> in the mid nineties. <laughs> Uh, last question here. I think we've gotten this question before, believe it or not. This is from Reddit user. <laughs> Reddit user Flowers of the Grass. Would you rather fight 100 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? No. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know how this question came back around, but yeah, no. All right, let's move on to a recommended match of the week. Uh, so last week for the uh, recommended match, I recommended... From the G1 Climax 24 Night 5, Katsuri Shibata versus Shelton X Benjamin. Josh, what do you think about this matchup? Yeah, I thought that this match was a really good match between the two. Um, it was something that was a little different than what I expected. It kind of highlighted the shoot styling backgrounds of both guys, especially like Shelton Benjamin's uh, amateur roots. And he was able to really like, put Shibata in some compromising positions that I wasn't expecting. But ultimately, the story kind of was like Shelton's athleticism combined with his technical amateur acumen against Shibata's, you know, tough-nosed fighting spirit, you know, amateur, or not amateur, but uh, mixed martial arts stylings. And ultimately, Shibata's professional fighting style is what, you know, came out on top. Um, I did think that Shelton had some issues. Um, there was like a part where he was supposed to swing Shibata into the guardrails. And uh, I don't know, like it was kind of wonky the way he did it. and It didn't like play into the rest of the story, but it was something that I thought that, uh, you know, that's a spot that I, I usually really enjoy because when someone does it effectively, like, fuck, like, <laughs> you know, big swung them into the, the rails. But, um, yeah, ultimately, like, this was a lot better than I would kind of expected it to be and was sort of surprising, especially considering, like, some of the scores I saw and some of the, like, ratings and reviews were a bit lower than this actually ended up coming out to me. But, yeah, the grappling throughout the match is really, really great. There's a lot of urgency. And these these were two guys that just kind of gelled together, and it's kind of weird. It's not... Um, once I saw it in action, I'm like, yeah, that does make sense. You know, yeah. with uh, the way that Shibata has wrestled, the way he trains guys in the LA dojo, and then what we've seen from Shelton over the years, it makes all the sense in, in the, the world. But um, yeah, this might be one of Shelton Benjamin's like best matches I've seen, which yeah. is saying something. Yeah, yeah, it was a really fun matchup. Uh, then for the excursion match of the week, you picked uh, Will Ospreay versus Speedball Mike Bailey from the Rev Pro 10th Anniversary Night 1 show. And man, another killer Will Ospreay match, another killer Speedball match. Did you like this more than the Night 2 match? Yes, I like this way more than Ricky Knight Jr. match. Um, huh. I thought these guys went out here to kill. I felt the crowd was better this night. The crowd was super into this match. And just the... the Layout of the match I thought was uh, much better 
as because with the rookie night junior they were trying to i think they did too much with the ref bump and they're, they're just doing too much i felt in that match we're here these guys were just wrestling um and there was a story here in the match of osprey working over uh speedball's legs obviously speedball does a lot of kicks and plus he doesn't wear shoes he just has the, the kick pads and so worked over the legs there there was a crazy spot where um Speedball's going for the weapon X, the, the, the spinning like double knees, and Osprey puts his knees up, and you get that knee on knee collision. And Osprey was just really working over the knees all throughout this match, and then he's having to contend with all Speedball speed and the you know, the the martial art kick spots. And there's this great spot that Speedball always does, where like the guy kind of slides out, and when the guy slides out, he springboards on the top and does an Asai moonsault to the outside. He always does that, looks great. And, yeah, there's so many just incredible spots like that in counters. Uh, but ultimately, uh, Osprey was able to uh, put him away with the uh, Stormbreaker and got the win. So really enjoy this match. I'm probably five stars on it. Uh, <gasps> five? Yeah. I don't know. Wow. I mean, I'm either four and three quarters or five. I don't know. I'm I'm in between, but it, it's it's up there. It's definitely, I think it's, it's a match of the year contender. All right, well, I'll, I'll definitely have to check this one out. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, I, I, I love this match a lot. I mean, I've kind of fallen in love with Speedball after seeing him WrestleMania weekend. He's fucking awesome. Yeah, like, this dude was just amazing WrestleMania weekend. He's been having an incredible year as well, wrestling all over the place. And, yeah, this Osprey match was great. And one thing, post-match, they did tease Osprey, like, taking off the United Empire band to give it to him. But ultimately, he didn't. So, a little tease mm. there of a speedball maybe coming to the United Empire. Nice. Well, um, my recommended match of the week is uh, it's it's a throwback, and it's not available on New, J- New Japan World, but I did send you the link available on Billy Billy. <laughs> um, Good old Billy Billy. <laughs> and uh, this is the match that made me fall in love with the New Japan Elimination 10-man tag style match. And it is one of the best New Japan 80s matches. It's short. It's like around 20-ish minutes. And it's extremely famous. It's uh, You have the team of Akira Maeda, Kengo Kimura, Ricky Choshu, Super Strong Machine, and Tatsumi Fujinami teaming up together to take on the team of Antonio Inoki, uh, Kentaro Hoshino, Kijimuto, Seiji Sakaguchi and uh, Fujiwara. And um, part of the deal here, and I forget the, like, keep in mind, this is before, you know, it's 87. I'm born in 88. And I only saw this match for the first time, probably like in 2015. This is a match that was, if I believe correctly, was kind of lost to time and then recovered um, in the earlier part of the 2010s. But it's a pretty famous match. The deal is obviously Choshu and Fujinami are like lifelong blood rivals, but they ended up teaming together. And there was a story at the time. It was, I, I don't want to um, say that this is the firm, how it was exactly, but it was sort of like they were part of the current generation. And there was a, a feud where like Anoki's the old generation. So, like, Anoki has his dudes that are, like, from the past, like, Seiji Sakaguchi and Hoshino. And, you know, Fujiwara is, like, young, but he looks old. So <laughs> it's, like, they're the old guys. And then we have, like, the young guns, Maeda, Kimura, 
chose you Fujinami. So like it was like kind of weird because you had all these heel face dynamics, guys that normally wouldn't team up, but it's sort of like the Millionaires Club versus the the the, the new blood, mm. except way better. Yeah. And the big surprise in this match was like Anoki busted out Kijimuto as his like secret weapon because Muto's a young guy, you know, so it's like we have someone on our side. And uh this is probably the the greatest elimination style match in the history of New Japan. And um I think when uh Death Valley Driver Review did their top like 150 New Japan matches of the 80s, this was like number 2. So it's it's definitely up there and it's a highly enjoyable watch. So we'll we'll post that link but uh you definitely want to catch this one and uh this one it, it, big time juice and uh, <laughs> you definitely want to look out for uh um freaking yeah it, this match is it's awesome nice well then for the uh, excursion match of the week i've chosen the motor city machine guns versus aussie open from last week's episode of Impact, this match was for the number one contendership for the Impact Tag Team titles. And this match is up on NJPW World. If you click on the, the Impact section there on the TV shows, you'll you'll find the match up there. Um, so, yeah, it should be a fun match. Two great teams. Um, I mean, it was a TV match. So I'm not sure how much time they got, but I'm sure... They killed it for a TV match. Should be uh, something fun to watch. Nice. Well, looking forward to checking that out. I did see that that's available on New Japan World. Yeah. Well, that's going to wrap things up. Next week, we'll be back to preview Declaration of Power. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation. Visit socialsuplex.com slash donate. And click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Make sure to connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. You can follow the network at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook. We are Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. You can also find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group. On Instagram, we're at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I'm the Pro Black Guy. Josh is keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy, at socialsuplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences, hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite with Floyd Johnson Jr. and Austin Tomowitz. The AEW Match Guide podcast hosted by Sir Sam and the Great Match Generator hosted by Danny Kukler. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review and we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Ichiban. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.